0: Who? The Last Voyage by Dan Abnett. Read by David Tennant. A pink glow was flickering around the edges of the mirrored windows. Apart from that, there was absolutely no sense of them being in motion. There was no vibration, no tremble coming up through the deck under her feet. Nothing at all, in fact, except the distant background murmur of the transpositional engines. Sugar Macaulay thought that it was a bit of a disappointment, to be honest. Given the unimaginable distances they were travelling and the mind-blowing velocities involved, she felt that there really ought to be something more spectacular to show for it than a flickering pink glow around the edges of the windows. Sugar adjusted her uniform. Nova Lunar Corporation's design division had gone for a retro, quasi military meets baton twirler look. Marketing said it accented the refined and genteel lines of the passenger salons and spoke of a halcyon age of travel. That was all very well, but the scarlet hussar cut coat was made of a scratchy neo weave material, and the winged chrome helmet refused to sit up straight on her head. She blinked twice to summon up her lash board, the little retinal hollow link that kept her data synced. She checked the time on her body clock display. They had been in transit for almost an hour, which meant the trip was just about two thirds done. Sugar blinked her lashboard away again and surveyed the executive class salon of the ship. No, not a ship, Sugar, not a ship. An interstitial transposition vehicle. Get it right, she told herself. Novi was very hot on product identity. This wasn't just a ship. This was a staggering revolution in interstellar transit. All of the transfer clients seemed content. There were 79 of them in the executive salon, and another 740 in the main salon, a deck below. On the executive level, the clients were sitting in luxurious booths and nests of chairs, each seating zone screened by audio and visual discretion fields. Sugar could see mouths talking, laughing and chattering, but no sound drifted back to her. With professional diligence, she studied each client group in turn to see which of them needed her attention. Not the dowager Colette with her awful yapping luck dogs. Not the data mogul with a dozen identical clone assistants. Not the famous virtual dancer sipping her detoxed cocktail. Not the honeymooners who only had eyes for each other. They were all lottery winners, every one of them just like Sugar and the rest of the crew. The only person on board the vessel who wasn't there by chance was Joseph Stearns Cluxton. From where she was standing in the service alcove of the executive salon, Sugar could see Joseph Stearns Cluxton perfectly well. He was a tall, gangly man in his late 160s, with watery blue eyes and slightly too much chin. Like many uber-wealthy types, he'd elected to have very little work done. He hadn't had a hair transfer, or a skin polymer, or any of the other things Sugar might have suggested he was in need of. His clothes were very simple and made of old tech fabrics like cotton and something called linen. Cluxton affected a look that the celebrity fashionistas like to call vintage authenticism. It took a great deal of money to look that unmoneyed. Luckily, Cluxton was the 16th wealthiest man in the empire. He was also the reason they were all there today. Cluxton had discovered the Cluxton quantum potentiality principle. Cluxton had designed the e-slam transpositional engines that were, at that very moment, slicing them through interstitial reality. It wouldn't be long before Cluxton became the wealthiest man in the Empire, full stop. Sugar wondered what Eternity would be like when they got there. She hoped it would be nice. Apparently there was going to be a huge turnout to greet them. Eternity had declared arrival day a public holiday and the entire population was expected to converge on the terminal. Lizzie was making her way up the main aisle towards Sugar. Lizzie paused to deliver another dish of complimentary macadamia nuts to the strange quiet man sitting alone in booth eight. Sugar loved her friend Lizzie Fisk. Lizzie made being a comfort mediator look effortless. Lizzie wore the scratchy scarlet neo-weave jacket as if it was tailored silk and kept the winged chrome helmet perched on her clouds of pre-Raphaelite red hair as though it weighed nothing. Credit for them. Lizzie asked, as she slipped into the alcove beside Sugar. "'Just thinking, you know,' Sugar replied. "'We're almost there,' said Lizzie, quickly consulting her own lashboard. "'I know.' "'What will it be like when we arrive?' Sugar asked. Lizzie shrugged. "'I don't know, but it can't come soon enough,' she growled. "'The kids with a couple in four are too young for this "'and they shouldn't have been allowed on board. "'They are running me ragged. "'And watch the male twins in sixteen. "'A bit handsy,' asked Sugar.' Lizzie scowled and shook her head. I wish. They've got some sort of virtual weirdness going on. I swear I was stark naked when I served them their mojitos. Sugar laughed. And don't start me on Cluxton, Lizzie continued. She shot an angry look in the direction of the famous man himself. Cluxton was deep in animated conversation with his secretary, his two aides, six journalists, and a mousy little man that Sugar understood to be Cluxton's biographer. I know he's very clever and everything, said Lizzie. Whoop de doo, yes, we're all very impressed, mister Cluxton. Now can you stop touching my behind like you own it, and ordering champagne like it's an all you can drink chug a thon. Is he really that bad? Sugar asked. He's a total nurk, Lizzie replied. Did his last order come up yet? I haven't lashed it, Sugar said. They both blinked up their lashboards. There was nothing showing on the order's pending field. Gally's forgotten it, Lizzie began. I'm sure it's no problem. "'Sugar told her. "'Could you check it for me, sweetie?' Lizzie asked. "'Yeah, I'll go right down,' Sugar assured her. "'Make it quick, though,' Lizzie said. "'Cluxton will lose it if his bubbly runs out.' She smiled at Sugar. "'I do it myself, but I want to check on the guy in eight. "'He's traveling alone, and he's cute.' Sugar grinned. "Fraternization is not allowed,' she said. "'I know,' Lizzie grinned back. "'I'm just intrigued. "'I think he's something, a secret agent or something. "'He's got hidden depths.' Good luck, Sugar told her, and walked towards the stairs. She turned back. I really wish this was more dramatic, Lizzie, she said. What? Lizzie replied. Don't you think that this should be more dramatic? Sugar asked. I mean, the pink glow just flickering, it's not really all that amazing. This? Lizzie asked, pointing at the nearest mirrored window. The pink glow was quietly shimmering around its edges. Oh, baby, you didn't know. This isn't real. It's just lights in the window frame. They've put them in to simulate some sense of progress because without them the whole process might have seemed too quiet and weird. You're kidding? Lizzie shook her head. True story, she said. The bottom line is, transposition is a very strange thing. It's almost like space moves and we don't or something. I don't understand it really. Sugar grinned and shook her head. Me neither, she said. Sugar went down the companionway into the interdeck service area. There was a quiet, carpeted hallway that led to the galley annex and the provision stores. Away from the insulated public decks, there was a little more noise. Sugar could hear the rasping whir of the air circulation plant and the drone of the galley's extractor vents. The murmur of the transpositional engines was a little louder too. Someone said her name. Sugar jumped and looked behind her, but there was no one there. She was alone in the corridor. She frowned and then blinked up her lash board in case someone had sent her speech mail. Nothing. Hello, she called. No one answered. The air circulation plant continued to whir and the engines continued to murmur. It must have been my imagination, she decided. Sugar entered the galley where six cuisine preparation artificials were silently working through the pending meal orders. She checked the wall log and tutted when she saw that there was no record of Cluxton's drink order on the updating graphic display. She blinked and connected a speech link to Lizzie in the salon. There's no order, Sugar said. She heard Lizzie mutter to herself quietly. I'll fill it by hand, Sugar said. What do you want? Three bottles of the 81 Tattinger and a carton of chilled glasses should do the trick. Thanks, Sugar. No problem, Sugar replied, heading out of the galley towards the provision stores. "'I've got to run,' said Lizzie over the link. "'The little old lady in nineteen is complaining that she keeps hearing voices. "'Yeah?' "'Yeah, someone keeps saying her name. "'Bye!' "'The link disconnected. "'Sugar paused and frowned. "'Weird.' "'She shook her head and turned the corner into Provision Store One. "'The girl coming the other way almost knocked her down. "'Hey!' Sugar cried. "'There were a tangle of legs. "'The girl was in some kind of panic.' She was a comfort mediator, too. She was wearing a blue version of the neo-weave uniform, indicating that she served the main salon. She was blonde. Sugar couldn't remember her name. They'd met at induction. Maggie, was it? Molly? Hey, said Sugar, what's the matter? Calm down. The girl was trembling. Her eyes were very wide. She was staring over her shoulder back into the provision store she'd run out of. Sugar tried to hold her steady, but the girl was almost fighting her off. Calm down, Sugar cried. I could see inside it!" the girl exclaimed, her voice very high and whiny. I could see its insides, oh god help me, it knew my name! What? The girl broke free and ran off down the corridor. She left her winged chrome comfort mediator's helmet rolling like a dying top at Sugar's feet. Sugar watched it rotate to a halt. She thought about picking it up. She thought about going after the girl. She thought about going into the provision store. None of the ideas appealed very much. Sugar, that creeps all of a sudden. What had the girl, Maggie Molly been gabbling about? See inside what? At induction, the senior motivation coach had mentioned that there was a very small possibility that some people might become upset or unsettled by the transpositional experience. We'll be going through the looking glass, remember people? He had said. The press isn't calling this a historic voyage for nothing. No one's done this outside laboratory conditions or test beds. There is a possibility that the experience will not suit everybody. They may become disconcerted by secondary phenomena that the scientists haven't even identified yet. That's why all senior mediators will have access to tranq farms and the medlockers. Just keep your eyes open, be sensitive and be thoughtful. If you see a transfer client starting to panic, go to your core training and calm them. Alert your senior. If it's bad, alert the control crew and the onboard doctor. What happens if it's another mediator who freaks, Sugar thought. What then, eh? Sugar straightened her uniform. The major freakout she most urgently needed to defuse wasn't some general deck mediator's hysterics. It was Joseph Stern's Cluxton's champagne-related meltdown. She stepped into Provision Store One. The premium bottles were racked in a foam-lined, climate-controlled cellar along the end wall. She activated a little follow-me artificial, a wheeled robot not much larger than a child's cart. It rolled out of its recharger wall socket obediently and slaved itself to her bio-signal, rolling after her as if it was attached to her by an invisible leash. She fitted it with a three-bucket cryo-hopper and slid in the bottles that Lizzie had told her to get out of the cellar. The gold-foiled necks of the expensive bottles stuck up out of the hopper's buckets. The buckets began to frost up as the cryo-system kicked in. Sugar opened a big larder cooler and selected a box of chilled champagne flutes. She turned back to load them onto the Follumese carrier. They were expensive glasses, lead crystal. They made a very loud noise when they broke. The box flew out of Sugar's hands as she recoiled in surprise something had appeared in front of her, just three or four metres away in the middle of the storage space. It was just there, hovering above the ground at about hip height. It looked like a small sphere of mercury, a gleaming silver droplet that shifted and rolled around on itself with a fluid, viscous pulse. But it was getting bigger. It was growing even as she stared at it, her eyes wide, her mouth open, and her heart racing faster than even an interstitial transposition vehicle. As the writhing sphere grew, it began to look less like quicksilver and more like molten glass, heavy and swollen, clear as water with embers inside it. It was as if the sphere, whatever it was, was extruding into the air in front of her from somewhere else, like a bubble of water through a faulty seal. Sugar was aware of a noise, like a distant voice, someone calling out from very far away. The sphere kept growing. It had expanded to the size of a beach ball, and it was rapidly becoming more than just a sphere. Two vague spokes were starting to extend from its underside, and the upper part of the sphere was elevating in a blunt column. It was almost beautiful. Sugar had seen traditional glassblowers at work years before on a holiday to Mars, this weird growth looked just like that, a fat, gleaming, translucent mass that oozed and altered as gravity played upon its dense form. And, like the inflating blob on the end of a glassblower's pipe, there was colour in its depth, the orange glow of molten heat. Except it was not so much orange as red. It wasn't heat, it was blood. Blood. Sugar let out a squeak of dismay as she realised that she could see blood and connective tissue and internal organs alive and pulsing, forming inside the fluxing shape. She could see anatomical structures. She was looking at a torso with the vestiges of hips and thighs below it just hanging in the air, half formed so that she could see into it through the skin. It was as if someone was slowly becoming visible in front of her from the inside out. Fascination had rooted Sugar to the spot, but as the graphic horror of what she was seeing sank in, fear overcame her. She turned and bolted out of Provision Store One. The following lurched after her, its expensive cargo clinking and rattling. Sugar ran out into the interdeck corridor. She could still hear the sound like a distant voice crying out, like the noise in her auntie's chimney. She skidded to a halt. There was a man standing in front of her, She knew absolutely nothing about him, but he was smiling a cheeky, reassuring smile. Nice hat, he said. What? The hat? He pointed. Nice, fetching, very asterisk. He had something in his hand. A strange, whirring, pen-shaped device. There's something in the storeroom, she stammered. That's only to be expected, he said. It's a storeroom. You don't understand. He winked at her. Try me, he said. Who are you? Sugar asked. I'm the doctor he said. "'I didn't send for the onboard doctor.' She said, "'I'm sure you didn't.' "'So what do you mean you're the doctor?' she demanded. He hesitated, his tongue wedged thoughtfully in one cheek with an expression on his face that suggested a decent explanation would far exceed any time he had available. "'What did you see?' he asked. "'What?' "'In the storeroom.' Sugar gestured frantically and hopelessly. "'Something!' she cried. "'Oh dear God, it was horrible!' The man pointed the humming device at her. Then he stepped closer to her, nose to nose, and peered down into her eyes. You've got, he mused, cocking his head. What is that? An optical data link? Holographic? A lashboard, she replied. The actuators are woven into my eyelashes. Could it be that, I wonder? he asked, gazing into her eyes. What? Making you see things. Are you saying my lashboard is glitching? I'm just saying that it could be interference. What you saw might have been a random imaging artifact. Uh what? Your lashboard could be glitching, he said. The man, the doctor, looked up at the ceiling suddenly. What's your name? he asked. Sugar Macaulay, said Sugar. Could you do me a favor, Sugar McCauley? he asked. Could you hold on tight? To what? she asked, really scared now. To anything that seems reasonably solid and dependable, he replied. She grabbed his arm. Okay, he said. A second later, the shockwave hit them. There was a bang and a terrible jolt and a furious sound of metal shredding in darkness. Sugar was thrown forwards. Someone said her name. There was a vicious flash of light as if all the lightning in the universe had just been squeezed through a tiny slit. For a moment, a minuscule moment, the ceiling was the floor and the floor was the ceiling. A pink glow flickered around the edges of her vision. Oh, my God! exclaimed Sugar Macaulay. She heard a gunshot. And then another. And then another. The three bottles of expensive champagne in the follow buckets had blown their corks. Pale foam was jetting from the foiled necks. Sugar got to her feet and straightened her winged helmet. What just happened? she asked. Hard to say, replied the doctor. He was scanning his device up and down the wall. ''Because I wouldn't understand?'' she asked. ''Because I'm not sure I understand,'' the doctor replied. ''The ship just hit something.'' ''It's not a ship,'' she said. "Is not?'' Sugar shook her head. ''It's an interstitial transposition vehicle.'' The doctor stared at her, his eyes narrowing. ''Is it?'' he asked. ''Is it really?'' Sugar nodded. ''And what?'' he asked. ''Is this particular interstitial transposition vehicle doing today?'' It's on its maiden voyage, she said, from Earth Moondocks to Terminal Station Eternity in the Lesser Magellanic Cloud. Well, blimey, he said, frowning, that's a very long journey by anybody's tight measure. Sugar nodded again. It's the longest journey possible, from one end of the human empire to the other. She stopped speaking and looked at him. He appeared pensive and vaguely worried. How can you not know that, she asked. "How, How can you even be aboard and not know that? "'Ah,' he said, with an expression that once again seemed to regret "'that there simply wasn't enough time for a thorough and satisfying exploration of the topic. "'I want to see your boarding card,' said Sugar. "'What?' "'I want to see your boarding card,' she repeated. "'Oh, look, there's no need to—' he began. "'Show me your boarding card. "'All right, all right, all right,' said the doctor. "'He swept a leather wallet out of his pocket and flashed it at her. "'That's not a boarding card,' Sugar told him. "'It isn't?' "'No.' "'It isn't anything, it's just blank paper,' she said. "'The doctor looked at the wallet himself. "'It is, isn't it?' he admitted. "'Oh, that's not good. "'That should never happen to psychic paper.' "'What psychic paper?' Sugar asked. "'Shh!' he replied. "'You hear that?' "'She listened. "'She could hear the air circulator plant "'and the murmur of the transpositional engines. "'But the murmur was different somehow.' It was ragged and more laboured, as if the engines were straining or struggling. The engines, she began. Not happy, he agreed. Because we hit something? Because the ship hit something, he said. Except it's not a ship, she said. Except for that, obviously, he agreed, nodding solemnly. Because as you pointed out, it's an interstitial transposition vehicle, not a ship. He looked up and around at the fabric of the corridor. It's an interstitial transposition vehicle on its maiden void through quantum space, he said, more to himself than to her. He seemed to be lost in thought for a moment. Are we gonna be all right? Sugar asked. He blinked and looked at her. An enormous grin lit up his face. Us all right, all right. Oh yes, no doubt about that, Sugar Macaulay. How can you be so sure? Because I'm always all right, he replied. She raised her eyebrows. "'Well,' he corrected, "'almost always, and that's good enough, isn't it? "'We should check on the rest of the ship. "'I mean the interstitial transpositional vehicle. "'After a bump like that, there are bound to be grazed knees "'and spilled drinks and all kinds of stuff.' He looked back at her. "'You are a flight attendant, aren't you?' he asked, suddenly concerned. "'You didn't just put that on this morning for a bet.' "'I'm an executive class comfort mediator,' she said. His beaming grin returned. It was warm and delighted. Of course you are, he said. That is brilliant. Then he was off. Sugar straightened her winged helmet again and ran after him. With a wail of its miniature drive train, the follow-me sped after her, champagne suds still drooling from the necks of the burst bottles like magma from volcanic cones. The doctor paused to look into the galley. She peered in behind him. The artificials had stopped working. They were all frozen at their workstations, their Request Reset monitor lights blinking. Some food and several utensils had fallen off the workstations onto the deck. Robots, said the doctor. Everything's animated, Sugar said, except as mediators. We're, well, we're part of the luxury package. The personal touch, he said. She nodded. Because interstellar trips usually take so long, cabin service is always automated, he reasoned to himself. But this ship, this interstitial transpositional vehicle, covers the distance so fast you can actually afford to have at-seat service from real humans. It's like the Halcyon Age of Travel, Sugar agreed, repeating something she'd read in a Novi Lunar brochure. I was so lucky to get this job. There were eight million applicants, can you believe that? Sugar noticed the wall log and saw that its graphic display had gone dead. The words stand by floated in the middle of the screen. She blinked up her lashboard and selected a speech link to Lizzie in the salon. It refused to connect. My lashboard's glitching, she said. You might be right. The robots are down too, the doctor said, nodding towards the galley's artificials. He went back out into the corridor. Sugar followed, and the follow me, clearly made of sterner stuff than the galley units, sped after her. The doctor took the stairs of the companionway two at a time, his hands sliding up the rails. He arrived on the executive salon deck. "'Oh,' he said. Sugar was halfway up the companionway steps behind him. "'What?' she asked. "'Oh, what?' He turned to look back down at her, his face very serious. "'Promise me you won't get upset,' he said. "'Upset? Yes, promise me.' "'Upset about what?' she asked. "'Just promise me, Sugar.' She pushed past him, reached the top of the steps and gazed out into the executive salon. There were drinks standing on tables, half-eaten bowls of macadamia nuts and barely touched meals. But the executive salon was empty. But that's not... she began. I mean, I was just... she added. It can't all of... She fumbled. She looked at the doctor. Where have they all gone? She asked. He fixed her with a solemn and resolved gaze, bending his slender frame down so that they were eye to eye, and there was absolutely no doubt the gaze was entirely aimed at her. Sugar, I have no idea, the doctor said. Well, I have a tiny idea. Well, actually quite a big idea, but the important thing is that I'm going to work it out for sure, and then I'm going to find them. All of them okay? Sugar nodded. The follow me, having climbed the companion stairs after her, sat down at her feet and waited patiently. How many people were traveling up here? The doctor asked. Seventy-nine transfer clients, she said. Passengers, you mean. Yes, seventy-nine up here in executive, plus six comfort mediators, she said. Okay, you said up here, where else? He asked. "'740 transfer clients down below in Maine, "'along with several dozen more mediators.' "'The doctor sucked air thoughtfully through bearded teeth. "'They can't just have vanished, can they?' "'Sugar asked. "'Well, apparently,' he said. "'The cosmos is a funny old place. "'Things appear and disappear all the time. "'You'd be amazed. "'One moment a the thing's there, and then next it's not, "'and then pop, it's back again, and none the worse for wear.' "'Really?' "'Oh, yes,' he said. "'It's nothing to be worried about. "'Take me. "'I'm always vanishing.' difficult to stop me doing it, to be honest. Here, one minute, gone the next, and it's never done me any harm. She stared at him, not sure what to say. He leaned forward and straightened her winged helmet. That's a terrific hat, he said. The doctor turned and hurried back towards the companionway. The main deck down here, is it? He called over his shoulder. Sugar ran after him, caught up, and led him down through the interdeck area into the main salon below. It was an area considerably larger than the chic executive deck, and the seats, though upholstered in neo-leather and very luxurious, were packed much more closely together. Nevertheless, the main deck was as devoid of life as the executive salon. Well, that sorted that out then, said the doctor. What? You and me, he said. We're the only people on this ship who haven't taken it upon themselves to up and vanish today. Can you hear that noise? she asked. The engines, you mean, yeah. They still don't sound happy, do they? No, the other noise. The far away noise, she said. Far away, he asked. Like voices calling out from a long way off. I don't know, like the noise in my auntie's chimney. In your auntie's what, the doctor asked. Never mind, nothing, but can't you hear it? He frowned. Like distant voices crying out from a very long way away, he asked. Yes. No, I can't. "'he said, but that doesn't mean you can't. "'Auditory interstitial echoes could be part of this phenomenon. "'Whether you can hear them or not "'could depend on how neurotypical your mind is. "'What are you saying exactly?' she asked. "'I'm many things, Sugar Macaulay, "'but neurotypical has never been one of them. "'Let me know if it gets any louder, "'or if you can tell where it's coming from.' "'Okay,' she said. "'The doctor tapped his lips with his index finger "'as he thought hard. "'Now listen,' he said, I'm going to ask you a couple of important questions, and I don't want you to panic unnecessarily about the answers. All right, she said. How long is this flight scheduled to last? Ninety-four minutes, she replied. She blinked up her lashboard, and we're right on timetable, ETA, 11 minutes and 15 seconds. (sighs) Which answers my second question, thank you, he said. Now, my third. Is this ship's flight deck crewed or automated? Well, it's crewed, Sugar replied, Captain Kamal Gupta and his executive co-operators are... Her voice tailed off. Oh, my God, she cried. If everyone's vanished, who's flying this thing? They ran down the narrow throat of a corridor that connected the forward service alcove to the flight deck. The follow-me zipped along behind them. "'We're going to crash!' Sugar cried. "'No, we're not!' the doctor replied. "'Yes, we are!' Sugar cried. "'Oh, dear God, if everyone has vanished, then the crew has vanished too. "'We'll crash! We'll crash land!' "'We really, really won't!' the doctor insisted. "'Why not?' They had reached the sealed hatch that connected the flight deck to the main areas of the vehicle. Well, said the Doctor, for a start we're not moving so we can't crash. We're affecting an interstitial transposition because, as you so accurately advised me, this is an interstitial transposition vehicle. Our own quantum location is anchored, it's the rest of space-time that's whizzing around. Secondly, we're not likely to crash. You said we were heading to somewhere called Eternity. Sugar nodded. "'Terminal Station and Eternity. "'It's the furthest-most empire colony world, "'right out in the Lesser Magellanic Cloud.' "'Okay, we're not going to crash land on Eternity.' "'We're not?' she asked. "'The Doctor shook his head. "'No. In fact, the problem is more "'that we're not going to crash or land on anything. "'We're slipping through interstitial space, "'the space between quantum dimensions. "'Well, it's slipping around us. "'Anyway, the real problem is that unless we regain control "'and begin to steer this thing, we could keep going forever.' And I mean forever, in a very infinite sense. Oh my God, she said. The doctor hit the hatch release. There was an electronic whimper and the hatch remained shut. It won't let me in, the doctor said. The flight deck is security sealed, she replied. Do you have a key, a code? Sugar shook her head. The doctor dropped to his knees and aimed his little pen-shaped device at the lock mechanism. What is that? Sugar asked. Sonic screwdriver, the doctor replied. The device was emitting a high-pitched tone. "'And what does it do?' she asked. "'Usually better than this!' the doctor growled and took the screwdriver away from the door. He slapped it twice, hard against his palm, and retrained it. With a squeal, the hatch opened. Sugar had never been on the flight deck before, not even during training or the familiarisation tours. It was a sleek place that looked as important as it was. There were six crew positions— Big, high-backed accelerator seats upholstered in black leather. Two faced forward, the others were arranged around the sides of the cabin. There was a bewildering array of consoles and displays, all writhing with graphically expressed streams of data. The consoles were set into a cabin finished in a designer excess of polished black glass and padded black leather. The two main crew positions faced a large hollow screen that curved down from the low ceiling and fulfilled the role of the cockpit's windscreen. Electronically represented contour graphics were whipping past the screen's point of view at a dizzying rate, suggesting that they were plunging and swerving along a deep winding tunnel or ravine. At last, Sugar got some sense of them being in motion, wild headlong motion. Unfortunately, Captain Gupta and his co-operators were not fulfilling their roles as flight crew. The seats were all empty. A gold-crested captain's cap lay on the deck beside one of the position's Matte black control paddles on steering columns waggled and twitched on automatic. Sugar heard distant sounds again. This time she thought it was probably the panic in her heart. With a little hum of gyros, the follow me trickled onto the flight deck at her heels. The doctor darted to one of the forward seats and sat down. Stretching out his fingers like a pianist preparing to play, he looked the consoles and column controls in front of him up and down. All right, he said, more to himself than anything. Mirror horn wipers? Tell me you can drive this thing, Sugar said. I can drive this thing, he replied. Yeah, only tell me something if it's actually true. I do like your hat, he said. The doctor took hold of the twitching control paddles in front of him. They seemed to resist his grip. He leaned over and tentatively adjusted some console settings. Several indicator lights changed colour. Ah, I see, he said. See what? See what? she asked. If you press that, the doctor said, that light changes from red to green. Meaning what? He shrugged. I don't know, but green's more reassuring than red, don't you think? Sugar flopped down in the seat beside him and put her head in her hands. We're all going to die, she said. Sadly, yes, he replied, but not today. An alert notice sounded, and a seriously emphatic message window lit up on the main screen. It said, ETA, Eternity Terminal Station, five minutes. Begin E-Slam engine D cycle What does that mean? asked Sugar. Is that good? It means it's time to decelerate the transpositional engines or we'll overshoot, he said. Well, the universe will overshoot us, but the effect will be the same. So shut them down, she said. It's not that simple. We need to decelerate to the right quantum harmonic, to the right frequency of reality, if you like. And if we don't? She asked. "'Well, then there's a danger we might pop back into reality inside something.' "'Something like what?' she asked. "'Oh, another ship, a building, a mountain, a star,' he said. "'We don't want that to happen, do we?' she asked. "'It's not high on my list of things to do, no. "'The problem is the controls are locked. "'I think the bump knocked them back to factory settings. "'They're stuck on some sort of default "'and they're not going to decycle by themselves.' He looked at her. "'Is there access to the engines? "'Is there any access to the engines themselves?' He asked. She shook her head. The engine chambers are sealed. It's a security thing. Novi Lunar didn't want anybody stealing the design secrets, she said. The doctor beat his fingertips against his lips furiously. So there's not enough time. There's not enough time to rig the engines or redo the calculations. And we can't overshoot and we mustn't shut down or splat, she said. So we'll have to improvise, he said. We'll have to be clever. Let's be breathtakingly clever. Shall we, Sugar Macaulay? Okay, she said. The doctor leapt up and crossed to one of the crew positions on the left-hand side of the flight deck. "'Engineering,' he said. He punched some keys and called up the hollow projection of a flow diagram. His fingers began to move faster and faster across the engineer's keypad. Complex algorithms started to superimpose themselves across the diagram. "'Basically, we've got to put our foot on the clutch,' he said as he typed. "'The what? I don't know what that is. What does it look like?' asked Sugar. "'Don't worry, I didn't mean it literally.' said the doctor. A clutch is an old-fashioned mechanical device long before your time. You used to find them in old motor vehicles. Basically, when you put your foot on the clutch, it disengaged the drivetrain linking the engine to the wheels. The engines would still be running, but the power wouldn't be reaching the wheels. See? We don't even have any wheels, said Sugar. No, no, we don't. We have interstitial field generation pods. Eight of them, it looks like. They take quantum power from the engines and use it to manipulate reality sliding in around us. But, he added, for the purposes of right now, think of them as wheels. You know that button I pressed that made the red light go green? This one? She called back. That's it, he said. Get ready to press it again when I tell you. When will that be? She asked. Now, he said. Sugar pressed the button. The light went red. There was no lurch or bump or jolt or protesting shriek of shredding hull metal. Nothing happened, she said. The doctor smiled. Yes, and it's still not happening, he said. He pointed up at the main hollow screen. The contoured graphic on display had stopped rushing past them like a tunnel or a canyon. It had frozen, with just the faintest sense of them drifting about on the spot. The quantum engines are still running, said the doctor. So we haven't made an unscheduled and messy reintegration with reality, but the power's not reaching the manipulator, so we've effectively stopped the universe from moving around us. We're coasting. We're floating. We're... on pause. How long can we stay like this? asked Sugar. As long as the engines keep running, said the Doctor. Which is a while yet, long enough for me to do some serious remedial work and bring this ship in for a safe landing. He grinned and got to his feet. So, allons let's crack open these famous engines and take a proper look at them. Sugar followed the Doctor off the flight deck and back down the forward corridor to the executive salon. The follow-me followed her. Pink light continued to flicker around the windows. In the main aisle, she saw a winged chrome hat lying on the carpet. She picked it up and fought back tears that seemed to ambush her from nowhere. "'This was Lizzie's,' she said. "'She had a good taste in hats, too,' the doctor replied. "'Will I ever see her again?' Sugar asked him. "'Oh, absolutely,' he replied. "'I absolutely guarantee it.' Suddenly, he clutched her wrist. He was looking down the length of the salon towards the service alcove. "'What is it?' she asked. I don't know, he whispered, but it just moved. They stole forwards together, softly. The doctor hunched down below headrest level like a poacher stalking his prey. Sugar followed suit. The follow-me scudded along behind her. What did you see? she hissed. Just movement. Just a flash of movement, he said. He pointed, down there. They scurried along the aisle a little farther, and then the doctor switched sideways through two seating nests onto the left-hand aisle. Sugar followed him. Someone said her name. She froze and felt fear prickle her skin. The doctor looked back at her. "'What?' he asked, his voice low. "'What's the matter?' "'Did you just call my name?' she asked. "'No,' he said. "'Don't worry then,' she told him. "'I'm obviously just going crazy.' No, you're not, he said. Remember I said that auditory interstitial echoes could be part of this phenomenon? Yes, well, they could. He whirled around. It's still moving, he whispered. He dropped onto his hands and knees and peered under the executive salon's expensive hand-tooled leather seats. Sugar edged after him cautiously. She heard something. Not her name this time, but an animal growl. It came out from between the seats at them, teeth bared. It was an ugly thing, hairless and wrinkled with slack beige flesh, red eyes and stub ears. It was also less than 40 centimetres long and wearing a diamante collar. Oh my God, Sugar cried. The doctor ducked and the snarling thing flew over his head and bounced off a seat back. It yelped. Sugar grabbed at it and missed. She finally managed to seize it by the leash it was trailing. I've got it, she cried. The doctor jerked upright on his knees and stared at the yapping, snarling thing in her hands. "'It's one of the Dowager Colette's luck dogs,' she cried. "'She had three of them, yappy little things. "'This Dowager, she was one of the passengers. "'She was an executive transfer client in 31 over there,' Sugar said, pointing. "'Mega rich!' "'There was a rumour that she'd actually bought her way on board "'and not done the lottery like everyone else.' "'Sorry, lottery?' asked the doctor.' Everyone wanted to travel on the maiden voyage, said Sugar, so there was a lottery. She held the little animal up by its armpits and looked into its yapping face. I am also pleased to see you, she told it. It certainly presents a question, said the doctor. Has it been hiding here all the time, or did it vanish and come back? Sugar put the luck dog down on the seat cushion. She hadn't thought about it that way. If the Dowager's dog had vanished and reappeared, she felt sort of funny touching it or holding it, as it might contaminate her with the residue of whatever had made it vanish. The luck dog looked up at her and yapped in protest. When you said vanish, what exactly did you mean? asked the man standing behind them. Sugar and the doctor both turned to face him in surprise. The luck dog yapped wildly. Sugar recognized the man immediately. It was the strange, quiet man who'd been travelling alone in Booth 8, Zone 8, the one Lizzie had thought was cute, the one she joked was a secret agent or something. He was quite cute, now Sugar looked at him. He was a compact, well-proportioned man, with short salt-and-pepper hair. He was wearing a simple slate grey suit, and his eyes had a slightly wicked, mischievous twinkle in them. I said, he repeated, you said vanish, and I wonder what you meant by it. Oh, well, the doctor began. He stopped. Sorry, he said. Where did you come from? The man in the grey suit gestured over his shoulder with his thumb. Booth 8, I think it is, just over there. There was a bump, and then everybody vanished. Except you, Pear, he added. And that guy over there. He pointed. In the seating nest that Joseph Stearns Cluxton and his boisterous party had been occupying, a mousy little man was getting up from the floor. He was blinking and steadying himself on the armrests as if he'd been sleeping off a terrible hangover under the seats. It was the man that Sugar had been told was Cluxton's official biographer. Sugar? said the doctor gently, nodding at the waking man. Why don't you go and... and mediate his comfort? Sugar nodded and hurried over to Cluxton's seating area. The follow-me and the luck dog trotted after her. She spoke to the mousy little man and helped him to a seat. He looked bewildered. The doctor turned back to the man in the grey suit. ''Sorry,'' he said, ''sorry, sorry, where were we?'' ''Oh, yes, I'm the doctor,'' he held out his hand. ''Reston,'' replied the man in the grey suit, shaking it. ''Oh,'' said the doctor, ''Mr? Captain? The Right Honourable? His Holiness? Well, mister, I suppose,'' the man said. The doctor nodded. ''Mr. Reston, we've got a bit of a situation,'' he said, ''in that ninety-plus percent of the ship's passengers seem to have disappeared.'' asked Reston. That would be a large part of it, the doctor agreed. Disappeared where? asked Reston. And that would be most of the rest of it, said the doctor. They walked over to where Sugar was sitting with the mousey little man. The man was sipping a glass of water that Sugar had poured for him. He looked properly befuddled. This is Mr. Lars Bortnick, Sugar told them. He's Mr. Cluxton's official biographer. Bortnick looked up at the doctor and Reston. ''Where is Mr. Cluxton?'' he asked. ''I'm supposed to shadow him at all times.'' The doctor ignored the question and instead asked, ''What happened?'' Bortnick shrugged. ''I was just sitting there,'' he said. ''Mr. Cluxton was telling us a particularly amusing story about his early days as a lab assistant at Mars Tech. I was making notes. He likes to make sure I record his anecdotes, you see.'' Bortnick hesitated. ''Where's my notebook?'' he asked, a sudden pang of anxiety on his face. ''Has anybody seen my notebook? It's really very valuable.'' ''We'll find it in a minute,'' the doctor assured him. ''You were saying?'' Bortnick wiped his nose nervously on the back of his hand. ''Mr. Cluxton was telling the story, and then there was a tremendous bump and a bright flash, and then I was on the floor.'' ''Is that all you remember?'' asked Reston. ''Yes.'' "'Bortnick nodded. "'No, no, there is something else. Uh, "'Between the bright flash and me finding myself on the floor, "'I distinctly remember that someone called my name.' "'Sugar glanced at the doctor in concern. "'Oh, my God,' said Bortnick. "'There hasn't been some kind of accident, has there? "'How long was it?' the doctor asked, "'squatting in front of Bortnick so that he could look him in the eyes. "'How long?' Bortnick echoed. "'Between the bump and the flash and you finding yourself on the floor, "'how long would you say?' Well, a second, five seconds, no real time at all. The doctor rose. He rubbed his hands together thoughtfully and looked around. They've come back, he said to himself quietly. An anguished cry tore the air and made them jump. The cry had come from the seat nest at the far end of the salon. The doctor started running in that direction and Sugar and Reston followed him. The follow me whirred off in Sugar's wake and the luck dog barking and snapping chased after it with its leash trailing. Bortnick rose from his seat as if to go with them and then flopped back down with a miserable groan. A young woman was sitting in one of the Salon End nests. She'd been hidden from them by the high seat backs. She was sobbing and shaking. Oh, now, don't cry, the doctor told her as he skidded up beside her. Everything's really all right, honest. Where's Adam? she sobbed. "'Where is he? He was right here, and then he wasn't.' "'We'll find him,' the doctor told her. "'What's your name?' "'Adam and Jay Sylvian,' said Sugar, travelling together, honeymoon couple. "'What's happening?' the girl cried, tears streaming down her cheeks. "'Where's Adam? Where's everyone? "'Oh, God, this was supposed to be the trip of a lifetime.' "'It really, really will be,' said the doctor. He looked around at Reston. "'Mr. Reston, you look like a reliable, dependable sort of person to me.' "'And?' asked Reston. Perhaps you'd sit with Jay here for a moment while she calms herself down. Why? Where are you going? asked Reston as he sat down beside the upset girl. Sugar and I are going to check the main salon, said the doctor. They've come back, the doctor told Sugar quietly as they hurried towards the companionway. What? They must have vanished and come back again, he explained. We could have missed one person but not three and a dog, so some of the people who vanished have returned. "'Are you sure?' she asked. "'Pretty sure. "'Think about what Mr. Botnick told us. "'He felt the bump and saw the flash just like we did, "'but to him it was only a few seconds later that he saw us. "'He might have been unconscious,' she suggested. "'He might have been. "'But he did hear someone calling his name,' she said. "'He did,' the doctor agreed. "'They were coming down the steps into the main salon. "'Doctor,' said Sugar. "'I can hear voices.' "'They stepped out into the main salon.' A crowd of more than twenty people had congregated in the main aisle and they were milling in anxious debate. As soon as they caught sight of Sugar and the doctor, they mobbed towards them. Steady now, steady, the doctor cried, flapping his arms to try to calm their rapid-fire questions. Leading the group was the young comfort mediator in the blue uniform who had bumped into Sugar outside the provision store. "'Oh, I'm so glad to see you!' she exclaimed and hugged Sugar tightly. "'We were about to come up to Executive to see if there was anybody there. "'What's happening?' Sugar gently disengaged herself from the hug and looked to the doctor. "'Who's this, then?' asked the doctor. Millie, the girl in blue announced, and embraced the doctor as well. "'Okay, hugging,' said the doctor. Millie, thought Sugar. "'Not Molly, but I was pretty close. "'What is happening?' demanded one of the group members, a red-faced, middle-aged man. ''Well, we're working on that,'' said the doctor. ''Are you in charge?'' the man pressed. ''No, I'm just helping out,'' said the doctor. ''He's the doctor,'' said Sugar. ''You're the onboard doctor?'' an old lady piped up. ''Oh, thank goodness. I bruised my elbow and that bumped something nasty.'' ''Did we crash?'' asked a teenage boy in a hollow-weave t-shirt. ''No, we didn't,'' said Sugar. ''What do we do then?'' asked the red-faced man. ''Did we arrive?'' No, we didn't do that either, said Sugar. Where did everybody else go? Asked another man, and several voices joined in support of the question. Why do I keep hearing someone saying my name? Asked the teenage boy. The doctor looked at him. What is your name? He asked. Lincoln Tang, the boy replied. His shirt's hollow print showed a 3D shot of Sky hockey players in action and then shifted into the numbered vest of his favourite player. Hello, Lincoln, said the doctor. And what's your name? He asked turning to look at the red-faced man. Charles Anders, the man replied. And yours? The doctor asked the old lady. Monica Westlake, she replied. My elbow's very sore. And you're all passengers, I mean transfer clients, except you, Millie. Millie nodded. The doctor continued to go around the group asking names. You'll never remember them all, Sugar thought. But as the doctor began to talk to them, it was quite clear he had... He used their names and answered their questions in gently deflecting ways to calm them down. Even Anders, the belligerent red-faced man, seemed to relax a little. Let's get everyone upstairs, the doctor said to Sugar and Millie. Into executive, asked one of the passengers excitedly. Into executive, Joyce, the doctor said to her. That'll be nice, won't it? Millie and I can get some snacks and drinks organised, said Sugar. That'll be a good idea, said the doctor. In the meantime, I'm going to take a look at these engines. Alone, the doctor wandered aft into the engineering section of the prototype vehicle. Ever since he'd improvised a way of setting the experimental drive to coast, the engines had been making yet another different noise. Not the murmur of standard running, nor the protesting struggle that had followed the bump. Now it was more of a floating, tremulous warble, unfocused and unsettled. The aft service areas of the ship were functional, gloomy spaces with half-standard lighting and no carpeting or wall finish. A locked hatch into the engineering section had been printed with a long list of persons prohibited from entering by order of Novi Lunar Corporation. He had to use the sonic screwdriver to open the hatch. It took a little longer to open the hermetically sealed valve that led from the service section through to the main engineering compartment. The Doctor found himself in a very large chamber, larger even than the main salon deck. It extended at least three decks deep and the levels were connected by cage gantries, catwalks and modular frame steps. A green gloom filled the whole chamber. The air in the compartment throbbed with the wash of the engine noise. The two huge transpositional engines, Joseph Stearns Cluxton's great invention, were encased in gigantic ovoid shells like immense armoured eggs. The doctor approached one and rested his hand against the shell plating. He could feel the vibration, but there was no sense of heat bleed. He went around the engine pod, examining it carefully. It was clear that the armoured shell, rather than encasing the engine, was only there to keep prying eyes and industrial spies away. The casing was plastered with warning notices and injunctions to anyone without the appropriate security clearance to stay away. There weren't even any monitor stations or diagnostic consoles through which you could study the engine's operation. The whole of engineering, was automated. Dormant artificials lurked in the shadows. These were humanoid models, like the units that worked in the galley. The doctor pottered about for a few minutes, double-checking that he hadn't missed any inspection ports or similar access points to the engine cases. He hummed an aimless, reassuring refrain that he belatedly realised began to echo the tuneless melody of the engine's plaintive murmur. Odd, he thought. He went back to the artificials and approached the nearest one which was standing in its recharging wall bracket. By this period in the history of the human race, robotic technologies had reached a sophisticated level. The artificial was functional and ergodynamic in appearance. It hadn't been constructed to resemble a human being. Its makers certainly hadn't intended anyone to mistake it for a person, it had simply been designed to mimic human physical actions to an extremely fine degree of motor skill and thus replace the need for human technicians or workers. Built into the unit's chest was an advanced multitask scanning tool and its hands were soft polymer pads containing powerful electromagnetic manipulators in place of digits. The doctor used a sonic screwdriver to remove the artificial's blank faceplate, a dome of pearlescent ceramic. He began to examine the exposed interior of pressed aluminium and solid state circuits. Then he stood back for a moment, with his arms folded and stared at the artificial thoughtfully. Credit for them? asked Sugar. The doctor looked around and then up. Sugar was standing on one of the catwalks overhead, looking down at him. I thought I'd come and see how you were getting on, Sugar said, coming down the steps to join him. She looked around, taking in the spectacle of the compartment. I've never been in here before, she said, impressed. It's quite a place. How are the passengers? the doctor asked. "'Everyone's pretty calm. "'They're all in shock a little bit, to tell the truth, "'and they want to know what's really going on "'and when we're going to land safely, "'but Millie and I acted all confident and reassuring "'and handed out the macadamias and the complimentary drinks "'and basically told them it was a temporary hiccup "'and normal service would be resumed soon. "'Well done,' said the doctor. "'Oh, and I checked on the flight deck "'to see if any of the crew had come back as well. "'That was very clever thinking,' the doctor told her. "'She did a little mock curtsy. "'Thank you.' "'Sadly, none of them had.' Ah, said the doctor. So, she asked, will it? The doctor was poking about inside the artificial's face again. Will what? he asked. Will normal service be resumed soon? The doctor glanced over at her and said, Yes, if I've anything to do with it. She came up behind him and peered over his shoulder as he worked. Do you trust me? she asked. Of course I do. And please tell me what's going on, doctor. He looked around at her. ''Okay, Sugar Macaulay,'' he said. ''I think the problem is with these transposition engines,'' he gestured at the giant murmuring ovoids. ''These things generate exotic particle fields that, putting it simply, alter reality. They cause multidimensional reality to ripple open like a pack of cards being shuffled, and that allows this ship to pass through space-time. And that's why everyone vanished?'' "'I think so. I think the engine's misfired for some reason, "'and an awful lot of people got accidentally shuffled sideways "'into an adjacent dimension. "'And then some came back?' "'The doctor nodded. "'Yes.' "'Then some came back,' he said. "'They were reimposed. I don't know why. I don't know how. "'It's part of the malfunction.' "'And what are you doing with this artificial?' asked Sugar. "'The doctor walked over to one of the engine cases and thumped it hard.' That's about ooh, 20 centimeter thick calvinium. There are no cutting tools here and no entry or inspection points. Novi Luna. It is Novi Luna, isn't it? Yes, she said. Novi Luna Corporation is clearly ultra sensitive when it comes to protecting its industrial secrets. Sealed engine units. Automated engineering section. No human eyes allowed in in case they steal Cluxton's great secret. And? She asked. And we need to reset the engines, said the doctor. We need to reset them from the default factory settings they've become stuck on because of the bump, so that we can decycle them and make a safe landing on eternity. It's the only way to make sure everyone currently alive on this vessel stays alive. ''What about everyone else?'' Sugar asked. The Doctor spun around sharply at a sudden noise. It was the follow-me, slowly and diligently making its way down the gantry steps in a gallant effort to follow Sugar. ''It's your little friend,'' said the Doctor. I know, said Sugar don't avoid the question. What about everyone else? I think if we can get these engines to decycle it might be enough to correct the error. Everyone who's missing might simply be reimposed on this dimension safe and sound. And how do we do that? she asked. I'm working on it, he told her. And what happens if it doesn't work? Oh come on! he exclaimed encouragingly. Where's your optimism? Where's your novi luna corporate spirit? Of course it'll work. We'll get your friend Lizzie back. We'll get everyone back, safe and sound, and large as life. He took her by the hands and peered encouragingly into her eyes. Hey, come on, hey. I believe you, she said, smiling. He had fallen silent. He was staring into her eyes, as if almost hypnotized. His hands clutched hers tightly. They were almost nose to nose. Doctor, she breathed. Doctor? That's it, he whispered. What? That's it! he exploded, hugging her tight and then doing a little victory dance. That's it, Sugar McCauley, that's how we do it! Do what? she asked. Doctor? The answer was right there in your eyes. Well, your lashboard at least. Oh, that's brilliant! What is? she asked. I need to use this artificial to get at the engines, the doctor exclaimed, waggling a finger at the robot. But I had no idea how I was going to interface with it. "'How are you going to interface with it?' she asked uncertainly. "'With your permission,' he declared, "'I'll look through your eyes.' "'How does that feel?' the doctor asked. "'No discomfort?' he just aimed a burst from his sonic screwdriver "'at her eyes for the third time in as many minutes.' Sugar's eyes felt slightly dry and prickly, but it wasn't too bad. It's fine, she said. Good, we're all set, he said. Ready? She nodded. The doctor poked his sonic screwdriver into the artificial's exposed facial innards and adjusted something. Auto-reboot, he said. The artificial suddenly jerked into life and stepped forward out of its recharging wall bracket. I've set it to perform a simple diagnostic check, the doctor said to Sugar. The artificial, its faceplate still off, paced across the compartment towards the nearest engine case with dutiful hydraulic purpose. The follow me, hovering its sugar's side, zipped back in alarm to get out of the larger artificial's path. The artificial reached the engine case and came to a halt with its chest-mounted scanning tool aimed at the case's surface. Then it planted its hand pads on the casing. "'See?' said the doctor excitedly. "'It uses its scanner to look through the engine casing as if it was glass. "'It's examining the workings of the engine inside. "'And then it uses its electromagnetic manipulators "'to adjust, tweak and maintain the engine mechanisms through the case. "'It's really very clever.' "'I'm sure it is,' said Sugar. "'And this is where you come in,' said the doctor. "'Blink up your lashboard. "'Got it?' "'Yes,' said Sugar. "'What do you see?' "'Oh, weird!' she exclaimed. "'If it's working, you're seeing what the artificial is seeing.' said the Doctor. You should have the artificial's entire diagnostic control selection available to you. I think... Yes, I think that must be what I'm looking at, said Sugar. Now, here comes the breathtakingly clever part, the Doctor told her. No. Here comes the the stop-whatever-the-heck-it-is-you're-doing part, said a voice from above them. The Doctor and Sugar looked up in surprise. Reston was coming down the steps from the gantry towards them. The pistol he was aiming at them was small, black, and vicious-looking. ''Let me put it another way,'' Reston said, looking directly at the doctor. ''Who are you?'' ''I'm the doctor,'' said the doctor. ''He's the doctor!'' cried Sugar. ''Where did you get a gun, Mr. Reston?'' ''You,'' said Reston to Sugar. ''Hush a little.'' ''You?'' he looked at the doctor. ''You're not the on-board doctor. I know that for a fact.'' I checked my lashboard files. The onboard doctor was sitting in the main salon in eleven six. His name was Caden. You look nothing like him. I never said I was the onboard doctor, the doctor replied. I never said that. I'm just the doctor. Which doctor? asked Reston. Doctor Who? You're so evasive. All I know is you shouldn't be on this vessel. Neither should a weapon, Sugar cried. Where did that come from? He's no re security, sugar, said the doctor, trying to keep her calm. Isn't that right, Mr. Reston? Reston nodded. Transit, Marshal, undercover, he said. I'm taking control. I'm securing this situation now for the good of the remaining passengers. That starts with you, doctor. You can't explain what you're doing on this ship, and you've forced entry to the confidential drive compartment. God alone knows what you've sabotaged. I've done nothing, the doctor said. Calmly. Reston shrugged. I wish I could believe you, he said. But there are too many questions. Ask them, the doctor replied. Reston shrugged. How'd you get aboard? he asked. I have a trans dimensional vehicle of my own. I landed in Provision Store 3, said the doctor. Reston snorted. Okay, already you're lying. ''These engines are bleeding-edge technology, my friend. ''No one else in the Empire has a trans-dimensional vehicle.'' ''I never said I was from the Empire,'' said the Doctor. But ''That made Reston hesitate.'' ''So what are you?'' ''An alien?'' he asked. ''A Time Lord,'' said the Doctor. ''A what? Is that like Santa Claus?'' asked Reston. ''Don't be silly,'' the Doctor replied. ''There is no Santa Claus.'' ''Well, there hasn't been one for about 7,000 years, anyway.'' ''You think this is funny now?'' "'asked Reston. "'The doctor shook his head. "'No, Mr. Reston, I think this is very serious,' he said. "'There is a potential threat to the lives of everyone travelling on the ship today. "'Help me protect them, Reston. "'I haven't finished asking the questions,' Reston replied. "'Why are you here?' "'Oh, don't we all ask ourselves that once in a while?' "'Reston sighed. "'This constant evasion is starting to annoy me,' he said. "'Just put the gun down, please,' said the doctor.' Don't tell me what to do, said Reston, and stop saying my name. I'm not saying your name. Stop it, Reston said through gritted teeth, his controlled professional calm suddenly leaving him. His eyes began to grow wider, and he started to brandish the gun threateningly. I said, stop saying my name. Stop repeating it. I'm not, the doctor cried. He pushed Sugar behind him. Trust me, I'm not. You're hearing echoes of something else. Concentrate on my voice. You're just experiencing some kind of audio distortion. Whatever he was hearing, it was making Reston panic. The doctor was afraid the gun was about to go off accidentally. Reston was almost yelling, Stop saying my name! Then the doctor heard something else. A thin, plaintive sound, like someone calling from a long way off. Do you hear that? Sugar asked. This time I do, the doctor told her. Oh my God, Sugar said. She pointed. A ball of mercury, of molten glass, was spinning and forming in the air behind Reston, just like the thing that Sugar had seen in Provision Store One. Soft and gleaming, it was extruding into their reality. Blood and the impression of pulsing internal organs were already becoming visible in its glassy depths. Good grief, said the doctor, stunned. Reston turned and saw it. He let out a cry of dismay and recoiled. He fired his weapon at it. The expanding molten blob distorted in the air as the shot struck it. It rippled and deformed and then reformed, solidifying and growing very much more rapidly than before. The glassy skin was darkening and flushing through with colour. It had a form now. For a moment, Sugar thought it was human. But it was larger than a man, taller, broader in its shoulders, its neck hunched forward, its limbs and torso lean and skeletal. No head or face had yet formed or even begun to spin out of the glassy matter. Blood and pink organs moved inside the slowly solidifying body. The noise of distant voices had become almost deafening, like a host of frightened people crying out for salvation. Run, the doctor said to Sugar. But she began... The thing lashed out with one of its arms. The arm had no hand or digits, it had not finished forming. The forearm simply tapered into a transparent glassy stump of forming wrist. It snagged against Reston's shoulder as he tried to back away. Where it touched him, Reston immediately began to vanish, to turn into that swirling glassy substance. He screamed as the molten Quicksilver effect spread across him, evaporating him from the shoulder outwards, making his clothes and flesh translucent and then entirely transparent to reveal glimpses of skeleton and muscle. And then he simply melted. The doctor grabbed Sugar by the hand. I said, RUN! As the unfortunate Mr Reston evaporated, Sugar shrieked in horror and looked away, not wishing to have a picture of the ghastly process burned into her memory. Then the doctor had her by the hand. He was holding her tight, yelling at her to run. She could just hear his voice above the fearful echo of phantom voices. He pulled her back across the engine compartment and they began to run. Reston evaporated away. The last glassy relics of his form shivered apart into empty air. His gun hit the deck, and the impact caused it to misfire into a bulkhead. The entity, alert and aware, surged after them. The Doctor and Sugar ran deeper into the compartment, following the line of one of the massive engine pods. They could hear the distant voices still, but they could also hear heavy, dull impacts of the entity moving behind them. "'Footsteps,' the Doctor whispered as he dragged Sugar under the end of one of the engine assemblies and back down the far side of the compartment. "'We can hear its footsteps.' So? Sugar wailed. That means it's solid, said the Doctor. It's through. It's here. Sugar glared at him, uncomprehending. He shushed her and got them into cover behind a rack of recharging artificials. The entity continued to prowl. Sugar could hear its heavy, leaden footsteps echoing around the large chamber. Deck plates creaked and protested under its weight. She could no longer see it directly, because it was on the other side of the engine assembly. It had become a hulking shadow, a lurching mass of blackness in the gloom, like a giant animal lost in the darkness of a cave. It continued to move about for another few minutes, occasionally coming close to where they were hiding, and then moving away again. The doctor kept his index finger pressed to his lips, but Sugar didn't need any encouragement to keep silent. Sheer terror had robbed her of just about every word she'd ever known how to say. Then it grew quieter. The sound of distant voices receded until it became just a faint, sad whisper. There were no more footsteps. Slowly, wearily, the doctor leaned out of their hiding place and took a look. He stepped out of cover and began to scout the area. I think it's gone, he whispered gone where is it heading for the salons no no said the doctor i think it's left our wavelength i think it's gone back to wherever it came from vanished you mean asked sugar the doctor nodded that's what i saw you know said sugar what when it started to appear those shiny swirling shapes that's what i saw in provision store one said sugar i think millie saw them too is that thing responsible for all this The doctor looked thoughtful. I'm not sure, he replied. I think what we saw was an entity trying to achieve a transposition into our dimension. It worked long enough for it to be solid for a few minutes. So it could be appearing for the same reason that everybody disappeared? She asked. Yes, said the doctor. So it's trying to hurt us? Trying to get at us? Not necessarily. It just killed Mr. Reston, Sugar cried. I'm not entirely sure it did. "'replied the Doctor. "'It's certainly dangerous, but it might not mean to be dangerous. "'But it touched Reston while it was in the middle of transposing. "'I think he got caught up in the effect. "'I don't think it killed him. "'It just shuffled him back to its own origin point.' "'What if you're wrong?' Sugar asked. "'Oh, come on!' the Doctor protested lightly. "'Do I look like the sort of person who's wrong on any kind of regular basis?' "'I'd like to get out of here, please,' Sugar said. "'Very soon,' the Doctor promised. "'We just need to finish what we were doing. "'It's important.' "'Okay,' She said. We'll make it quick, he added. In case, you know, what? In case it comes back and I'm wrong, he said. They retraced their steps towards the artificial that the doctor had rebooted. Sugar eyed every shadow and patch of gloom with misgivings, expecting each one to move and come for her. Then one moved. Sugar screamed. The follow me skidded to a halt at her feet. Sugar scolded the little artificial using a number of words forbidden for crew use in the Novi Lunar Staff handbook The engineering artificial, its faceplate off was still standing beside one of the engine cases It had completed its diagnostic check and had switched to sleep mode while it waited for new instructions The doctor used his sonic screwdriver to reset Sugar's lashboard again She kept glancing around nervously Try to keep looking at me, he encouraged her Okay, Right, he said, snapping off the device. Just like before, you should be seeing what the artificial is seeing. You should have the artificial's entire diagnostic control selection available to you. She nodded. Yes, she said. Yes, I have. All right, he said. He adjusted the setting of his screwdriver and aimed it at her eyes again. The screwdriver emitted a short burst. Sugar's eyes lit up. Peel beams of light projected from her eyes and formed a graphic image in mid-air in front of her. I'm using the actuators in your eyelashes to direct the holographic image outward so I can see it too, said the doctor. You can see what I'm seeing? I certainly can, said the doctor. He leant forward and studied the floating, gently fizzling graphic menu. Diagnostic control selection. Perfect. OK, sugar, follow my finger. You see this? Where it says transposition setting reselect. Blink on that. Sugar blinked. Brilliant. Now, look down this sub-menu here and blink on decycle protocols. OK, she said, making her focus adjust. Blink on it? Yes, perfect. It's asking me authorise yes-no, said Sugar. Blink to accept yes, said the doctor. Done. Now, focus right to bring up that menu there. Yes, good. Now, blink on enable standard engine decycle. Done, she said. There was a subtle change in the sound of the engines on either side of them. The doctor began to grin. He aimed his sonic screwdriver at Sugar and shut off the hologram projecting from her eyes. She blinked a couple more times, rubbed her eyes and looked at him. Did it work? she asked. The engines can now be de-cycled safely from the flight deck, the doctor grinned. We can bring this ship into land. ''What's happening?'' Millie asked as they rushed back through the executive salon. The passengers, even the dreary Lars Bortnik, got to their feet as soon as they saw the doctor reappear and hurried towards him. They were full of questions and concerns. ''Everybody needs to take a seat,'' the doctor announced, hushing the hubbub. ''It's very important. Millie, can you get everybody into their seats, please?'' Millie nodded. ''What's going on?'' asked Charles Anders. ''We're about to arrive at Eternity Terminal Station,'' said the doctor. There was a flurry of excitement. I need you all sitting down, please. Now! Do we have to return to our originally designated seats? Somebody asked. No, Joyce, replied the Doctor. You can stay right here in Executive and make yourself comfortable. With Sugar and the whirring follow me in tow, the Doctor returned to the flight deck. He took a seat in the Captain's chair and began to review the data on the monitor screens. His fingers moved across the keyboard, entering instructions. An alert notice sounded, and a message window appeared on the main screen. It said, ESLAM engines decycled, affecting end stage transposition to Eternity Terminal Station. Search for Eternity Terminal Station Quantum Beacon? Yes, no. The doctor selected the yes option. On the main screen, the trajectory simulation graphics had altered a great deal. Instead of a sense that they were rushing down a canyon or tunnel, it now seemed to suggest a flat, intermittent path, like a dotted line that meandered lazily but made no dramatic twists. Everything seemed to have become compressed along a horizontal plane. There was another chime, and another message window appeared. This one read Eternity Terminal Station Quantum Beacon Identified. Interstitial locators matched and locked. End stage transposition engaging on automatic. Is that good? asked Sugar. That's good, isn't it? It's very good, the doctor said. There was another chime. This time the message read ETA Eternity Terminal Station 15 seconds. 14. 13. 12. Sit down and strap in, Sugar, said the doctor. We're about to arrive. Eyes bright, she sat down beside him and rummaged for the restraint. The display continued to count down on screen. It finally reached zero. The moving graphic of the dotted line stopped moving and became a simple blinking cursor. There was absolutely no sensation of arrest or deceleration, no feeling of added or subtracted momentum. Are we there yet? she asked. Yes, said the doctor. We stopped moving? In as much as we never were moving. Yes, said the doctor. How can you tell? Sugar asked. I can't tell. How can you tell? It doesn't feel any different. The doctor leaned forward and pressed a control pad on the console. The pink light flickering around the edges of the windows went out. Better? he asked. You see, I always thought, said Sugar, that there should have been much more going on. The doctor nodded. He'd told Millie and the passengers to stay put and be patient just a little longer, while he and Sugar took the first look outside. The main hatch didn't seem to want to unlock. What do you mean? he asked, trying a screwdriver again. I don't know, she shrugged. Something dramatic. I mean, this trip is a pretty huge deal. There ought to be flashes and noises and hoopla, not a little pink flickery glow. He nodded. So you're saying there should have been, I don't know, deafening explosions of cosmic lightning, galaxies swirling past like blizzards, violent bucking turbulence and the scream of tortured gravity? At the very least, she agreed. Can I just ask, said the doctor, all things being equal... Wasn't this dramatic enough? The hatch suddenly shuddered and opened with a wet kiss of releasing hydraulics. Hooters sounded and amber hazard lights cycled and flashed. They felt the touch of cool air against their faces as the interstitial transposition vehicle stopped holding its breath and started to inhale the air outside. Side by side, they stepped through the heavy hatchway lock and out into the open, squinting into the bright daylight. There was a brisk breeze, and it carried with it a vague cocktail of industrial scents, concrete, plastic, exhaust fumes, tar. They looked out across Eternity Terminal Station. Hmm, said the doctor. You know what? I think it's going to keep being dramatic for a while longer. Except for one small detail, Eternity Terminal Station was exactly as Sugar had pictured it. Directly in front of them, the imposing structure of the terminal station rose against a sky the colour of a halogen light. It was a multi-level, multi-concourse superstructure, built in chrome, glass and steel. A massive structure that projected huge, bladed towers high into the air. To the left, at the limit of the station zone, lay a long, misty line of gargantuan cradles containing bulk system ships in for repair or maintenance. Beyond the dry docks, the skyline of Eternity rose into the haze, a vista of smoky blue spires and burnished domes. Eternity. The furthest of the Empire's great colonies. One of the towering achievements of the human species. Sugar swallowed hard. She had dreamed about this moment and trained hard and won out against all the odds to be part of this event. In the days and weeks running up to departure, she'd speculated wildly about what emotions she would register on arrival. She was canny enough to expect it to be a strange mix, a tearful blend of elation, awe and confusion. She had known her reaction would probably take her by surprise, but she'd never imagined this. Where is everybody? she asked. The landing concourse below them was empty. It was supposed to be a public holiday. The entire population of Eternity Colony was supposed to be turning out to meet them. That's what she'd been told. She could see service and support vehicles waiting at the edge of the concourse, and huge temporary stands that had been erected to seat the most important delegates and guests. At the foot of the concrete landing tower steps, an avenue of red carpet had been laid out, stretching all the way to the rostrum in the centre of the concourse from where Joseph Sterns, Cluxton, Captain Gupta and other key personnel were supposed to address the assembled masses. There was not a single soul inside. Oh dear, said the doctor. Oh no, no, no. He stepped down off the vehicle's extended ramp onto the platform at the top of the landing tower. He turned and looked back at the vessel he had been travelling in. Dull sunlight glinted off its matte-finished hull. From the outside, the interstitial transposition vehicle looked like a great marine animal, a giant from the depths. It was grey and smooth, its sleek flanks ergonomic rather than streamlined. From the tip of the nose to the swell of the transposition engines, it was 600 metres long. Eight interstitial field generation pods extended from its main body at regular intervals, four on each side. The pods were mounted on robust but complex multi-positional arms. The entire vehicle was parked in a purpose-built reception cradle in the middle of the concourse. It looked as if some giant hand had rested it there, as easily as sugar might put a bottle of champagne into a Follumese carry hopper. Right place, right time the doctor murmured. He turned on the spot again and then hurried down the steps of the landing tower onto the red carpet. Sugar followed him. "'I don't understand,' she said. "'Where is everybody?' Still looking around, the doctor chewed at his lower lip thoughtfully and didn't reply. "'They've disappeared too, haven't they?' Sugar asked. "'They've vanished as well, just like everybody else. Everyone's vanished except for us.' "'Let's not be hasty,' the doctor began. "'Oh, just look!' Sugar moaned, pointing at the rostrum and the seating stands. "'They're supposed to be here. "'Crowds and crowds of them were supposed to be here, but they're not. "'So you tell me where they are if they haven't vanished.' He carried on walking down the red carpet and stepped up onto the rostrum. He turned in another full circle and stopped, facing the main terminal building. "'Where do we start?' he asked, talking to himself. He jumped off the rostrum and ran towards the terminal. She ran after him. ''What have you seen?'' she asked. ''I'm not sure. There's got to be an answer here somewhere,'' he replied. ''What is it?'' she asked. ''I have no idea,'' said the doctor. She grabbed his arm. He'd heard it as well. The sound of distant voices calling out. ''Oh, not here too?'' Sugar said. ''No, that's wrong,'' he said, mainly to himself. There was a note of exasperation in his voice. ''How can it be here too?'' The problem was with the ship, specifically the ship. The transposition engines had become misaligned. The problem should remain with the ship. It shouldn't be out here, too. Neither should they, said Sugar. She nodded towards the ship. Millie and several of the passengers were emerging, blinking onto the landing tower. Well, we weren't going to keep them on board forever, said the Doctor. Let's get everyone off and into one of the seating areas inside the terminal. Will they be safe after the ship? Sugar asked. As safe as on it, the doctor replied. Safer, probably. They hurried back towards the ship. By the way, said the doctor, it's an interstitial transposition vehicle. Even you're calling it a ship now. Ha ha, she replied, without enthusiasm. Millie was waving to them eagerly from the top of the tower. Hello, hello, she called. Where is everybody? Have you noticed something? asked Lars Bortnik. He looked up at the sky. It's the same. It's the same as when we arrived. So what? Asked J. Sylvian. Her eyes were red and puffy. She hadn't stopped crying much since the disappearance of her husband. We were scheduled to arrive late afternoon local time, said Bortnick, about an hour before sunset. Mr. Cluxton was very precise about the details. And? Asked Charles Anders. Well, said Bortnick, we've been here at least three quarters of an hour and the sky's still the same. It's not getting darker. The shadows aren't lengthening. Have you ever been to eternity before? Monica Westlake asked Bortnick. No, ma'am, I have not, he replied. Well, then perhaps things work differently here, she suggested. A sunset is still a sunset wherever you are, sniffed Lars Bortnick. And a sigh is still a sigh, said the doctor. Where have you been? Asked Anders. Oh, just looking around, the doctor replied. It had taken about half an hour to get all the passengers off the vehicle and into one of the vast lounges inside the glass and steel terminal building. The doctor had wanted everybody to stay together, though he had allowed Millie to wander off with Link and Tang in search of food. They'd returned with a snack trolley and an urn of coffee that was, mysteriously, piping hot. Bortnick is upsetting people, said Anders. He claims it should be dark by now. It was just an observation, said Bortnick. It is a puzzle. The doctor agreed. ''Something horrible has happened to us, hasn't it?'' G. Sylvian asked, and she started to cry again. Mrs. Westlake moved to comfort her. ''I was wondering what happened to that man,'' Bortnick said. ''What was his name? Reston. What happened to him?'' ''I think everyone should stay here just a little while longer,'' said the doctor firmly, ignoring both the question and the worried glance that Sugar sent in his direction. He moved away from the main group as they continued to chatter amongst themselves and stood looking out through one of the terminal building's huge windows at the interstitial transposition vehicle sitting in its cradle. You don't suppose this is a joke? asked Sugar, coming up to him. You know, everyone's hiding in a closet and they're all going to jump out suddenly and shout surprise! The doctor smiled. He could sense how hard she was trying to stay on top of her nerves. That certainly would be a very original way of greeting a pioneering voyage, he said. "'Do you know what the population of Eternity Colony is?' "'She shrugged. "'About eight billion, I think,' she said. "'Well, you see, that's a problem. "'That's a lot of closets.' "'There's no one here, is there?' she asked. "'He shook his head. "'I took a little walk around the terminal "'while you were getting everybody settled. "'It's just empty. "'I even went out into the city. "'Not far, mine, just a street or two. "'There's no one. "'There's no traffic, no animals, "'no air traffic either.' And Bortnik's right. It should be getting dark by now. I keep hearing that sound of voices, said Sugar. That really worries you, he said. I've seen what happens when it gets loud, she replied. No, it's more than that. The noise itself scared you. Something about your auntie's chimney? Sugar laughed and shook her head. Oh, that's nothing, she said. Just a silly thing. Tell me. When I was a kid, I had to go and stay with my auntie for a few weeks. She had an apartment in the Toronto Tower. You know the Toronto Tower? Ages since I've been there, said the doctor. Go on. So I stayed there. It was fine. But on the second night, there was this noise. It seemed to be coming from the wall of my room right beside my bed. It was like a voice, really shrill. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was calling my name. I was so scared. It gave me nightmares. After a week, I told my auntie about it. I thought she'd think I was being silly. She got maintenance in and they took the wall panel down and behind it was the chimney flue from the apartment's heating system. There was a bird trapped in it. A big white bird called a seagull. I know what a seagull is, said the doctor. I didn't, she said. I barely knew what a bird was. I mean, you never see them living in the city towers, do you? No, I suppose not. This was an actual wild bird. It came from the empty zones outside the towers they said it must have been looking for food somehow a backdraft had sucked it into the heating system and trapped it in my auntie's chimney they couldn't save it it had been in there too long it had just been moving around calling trying to get out that's all it wanted to do get out he looked at her you see he said that's twice you've given me a brilliant idea what idea she asked he had already turned to head back to the main group Doctor, wait, she called. He turned to look at her. What? I was thinking about Mr. Reston, she said. I was thinking about what he said to you before... Before... I know. He asked you a question, doctor, she said. He asked why you were here and you never answered him. I didn't know, I must have. You didn't. Oh, well, it's not important. I told you about my auntie's chimney, she said. The doctor sighed. "'All right, sugar Macaulay. "'The real truth is, it was an accident. "'I wander around, see what takes my fancy. "'I like a good mystery, a good puzzle. "'That sort of thing usually distracts me. "'And I arrived on your interstitial transposition vehicle, "'slap bang in the middle of a proper mystery. "'You arrived just by chance? "'Like a bird accidentally flying into a chimney,' "'the doctor said, smiling. "'And the mystery is, why did everybody vanish?' That's part of it the doctor agreed you see joseph stern's cluxton's breakthrough is huge quantum transposition is a staggeringly big deal it should change the face of the human empire forever it should revolutionize travel between star systems transposition technology well that's any civilization's ticket to elite major species status the cluxton breakthrough is years ahead of its time decades centuries he hesitated the thing is he said. Ten years from now, no one will remember it. What? I've never heard of him, said the Doctor. I've never heard of Joseph Stearns Cluxton. His breakthrough doesn't change things. The Empire goes on for a good long time yet, but transposition technology doesn't catch on. So... Something stops it happening. Something occurs, perhaps on this maiden voyage. Something not terribly good. When I found myself on board by accident and discovered what I was in the middle of, I thought I'd try to find out what. Sugar shook her head. For God's sake, Doctor, you're talking like this is all in the past to you. The Doctor shrugged. Your point? What, you're from the future? Is that what being a Time Lord means? Let's just say, replied the doctor, that my relationship with time is not quite as linear as yours. They had reached the seating area where the passengers were waiting. I've had a bit of an idea, the doctor told them. Actually, Sugar's had a bit of an idea. I'm going to try to find the terminal's main control area. I think it might have some data that will help me crack this problem. I won't be long. I'd like you all to stay here. And no wandering off. Lars Bortnick rose to his feet. Now, you see, said the doctor, that's not not wandering off already, is it, Mr Bortnick? You want to find the central control area? asked Bortnick. I can take you right there. I've spent the last few months studying Mr Cluxton's blueprints for this place. OK, Mr Bortnick, you're on, said the doctor. "I should save some time. They left the main group at the seating area and walked off through the vast, empty sprawl of the terminal. The follow-me dutifully zipped along at Sugar's heels. Sugar kept hearing the echo of faraway voices. Bortnick noticed her looking up and assumed she was looking at the sky. ''That sun's still not setting,'' he remarked. ''So how long have you been Joseph Cluxton's biographer, Mr. Bortnick?'' asked the doctor. Three years now,'' Bortnick replied. ''Ever since the breakthrough, really.'' Novi Lunar retained me to follow him everywhere, to watch his every move, and to build a thorough and detailed portrait of him. He Wait a minute, said the doctor. He turned to look at the biographer. Three years? Are you telling me it's been just three years since Cluxton made his breakthrough? Bortnick nodded. Yes, why? That's extraordinary, the doctor cried. The breakthrough is the scientific miracle of our modern age, Bortnick agreed. No, not that, the doctor said. Three years. Three years from theoretical breakthrough to this. There should have been decades of design assimilation and prototype testing. You don't get to that vehicle in just three years. Joseph Stearns Cluxton is a genius, said Bortnick. I don't think you really appreciate... I think I appreciate more than you imagine, the doctor replied. To have got this far in such a short time, Cluxton must have envisaged the entire transposition process fully formed, right from the start. Either that, or... "'Or what?' Sugar asked. "'What are you suggesting?' Bortnick asked. "'How much do you know about the breakthrough?' the doctor asked him. "'Bortnick shrugged. "'Mr. Cluxton has told me a great deal about it,' he said. "'He was working on light-speed drives, "'the technology on which he built his original fame and fortune. "'He was running some quantum decay simulations one afternoon, "'and inspiration hit him. "'He scribbled down pages of notes right there and then.' In fact, I have most of them copied in facsimile form in my notebook. Really, said the doctor, can I see them? Bortnick looked extremely dubious. His precious notebook, which he had protested so loudly about mislaying, had eventually been found under the seating nest, where the luck dog was gnawing it to death. Bortnick produced the device from his jacket pocket. I'm rather uncomfortable about this, he explained. This is privileged information, and Mr. Cluxton has entrusted me with it. It's all supposed to be kept out of the public eye until the publication of his exclusive biography. I'm not the public eye, said the doctor. Oh, come on, Mr. Bortnick, said Sugar. Bortnick activated the device, thumbed the reader through various screens, and then handed it to the doctor. The doctor studied the notebook screen for a moment, scrolling up and down. This is amazing, he said. It is, isn't it? Bortnick agreed. "'You claim these are his very first sketches of the transposition process.' "'I don't claim anything, doctor,' Bortnick replied. "'That's exactly what Mr. Cluxton told me they were when he gave me copies of them.' "'But it's so clean, so clear,' said the doctor, still reading. "'There are virtually no mistakes or revisions. "'It's as if the entire mechanism came out perfectly first time. "'Yes, that's how it was,' said Bortnick. "'The doctor looked at him. "'Please don't be naive, Mr. Bortnick.' He said, I don't care how clever Mr. Cluxton is, or was, no one makes a major theoretical breakthrough in quantum physics and designs the perfect technology to apply it practically in the same afternoon. Then how do you explain this? asked Bortnick, petulantly. Well, said the Doctor, Cluxton could have lied to you about the timescale. These could be much later working designs. Joseph Stearns Cluxton is a man of great integrity, Bortnick protested. In that case, he must have copied them from somewhere, said Sugar. The doctor beamed at her. Oh, Sugar Macaulay, good girl. Occam's razor, Mr. Bortnick, Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is usually the right one. Bortnick snatched his notebook back. He lurched backwards and Sugar caught him. How dare you, Bortnick demanded. Are you actually suggesting... How dare you, that's slanderous. Yeah, I was only joking, Doctor, Sugar laughed. After all, where would he copy something like that from? The doctor's face was very solemn. Where indeed, he murmured, I think that changes everything. What do you mean? Sugar asked. I thought this was one thing, Sugar, he said, but now I'm rather afraid it's something else. He turned urgently and looked at Bortnick. It's even more important that I get a look at that control centre than it was before, he said. Bortnick wasn't listening. He was looking up at the roof, distracted. Do you hear that? he asked sounds like someone calling. Sugar and the doctor looked around. The broad glass and steel spread of the concourse stretched out on either side. They could both hear the faint echo of voices again. It was getting louder. What is that? asked Bortnick. He was clearly spooked. I heard that while we were on board. There's nothing to worry about, said the doctor. Maybe we should go back, doctor, Sugar suggested quietly. The doctor nodded. The sound seemed to be coming from ahead of them. Voices cold and empty echoed around the empty walls of the terminal. Yes, that might not be such a bad idea, he said. Then he hesitated. Look, he cried. Oh, what's he doing there? asked Bortnick. It's that boy, said Sugar. It was the teenage boy in the holoprint T-shirt. He was about 300 metres ahead of them, beyond a set of large, low sculptures set into the concourse and much closer to the chrome wall of the central terminal offices. Lincoln! Lincoln Tang! The doctor shouted and waved. Lincoln heard him and turned. He waved back cheerfully. Lincoln! What are you doing? Come here! The doctor yelled. Lincoln shouted something back which they didn't quite catch. The air seemed to be dense and very humid suddenly. Sugar's throat felt scratchy. The Doctor began to run towards Lincoln. Sugar yelled at him in protest and then started after him. Bortnick, not wishing to be left alone, followed them. The Doctor vaulted the lip of one of the odd sculptures and ran right across it to get to Lincoln. The sculpture was a broad, shallow dish of concrete in the shape of a leaf, dry and empty. As he ran across it, the Doctor's feet and shins suddenly felt very cold. There was no time to worry about it. The voices were getting louder. ''Lincoln!'' he shouted. ''Come to me! Come this way!'' It's the dog, Lincoln shouted back. The little dog's ran off. Never mind, the little dog, the doctor shouted, still running. Come on! Lincoln hesitated. It was clear that he could suddenly hear the noise of spectral voices too. He stared at the doctor in confusion. He looked scared. The doctor bounded over the far sill of the odd sculpture and ran towards him, with sugar close behind him and Bortnik trailing her, blowing hard. The follow me had been forced to skirt around the sculpture and was zooming to catch up with them. It's just the little dog, Lincoln said as the doctor ran up to him. Millie sent me to find some more coffee and I saw the dog running about so I went after it. The boy shrugged half-heartedly and his hollow print shirt flickered and changed from sky hockey action to a triumphant sky full of victory fireworks. He gestured behind him. The luck dog sat panting on the paving slabs behind him, its diamante trimmed leash trailing. It looked vaguely amused, as if it had been enjoying the chase. "'So what breed is that, exactly?' Lincoln asked the doctor. "'I honestly don't think that matters just now,' the doctor told him. "'That's a really funny noise,' Lincoln remarked. "'Yes, it is,' said the doctor. "'Listen, we have to move away from here.' The boy looked at him sharply. "'Did you just say my name?' he asked. "'Did I what?' "'Did you just say my name?' Lincoln repeated. "'Sugar skidded to a halt beside them. "'I just heard something call my name too, doctor,' she said, "'making a gesture that seemed to encompass the entire world around them. "'They're closing in. Said the doctor. Who are? asked Lincoln. There was a shriek. It made them all jump. It cut clean through the echo of voices circling them. The shriek had come from Bortnik, who had finally caught up with them. He was ashen faced and pointing with a wobbling finger. What in the name of God is that? he exclaimed. The doctor knew what he'd seen even before he turned. Ten metres away, an oily, roiling sphere of glassy matter had appeared in midair, hovering at chest height. Its mercurial spin increased, and it began to swell. Blood leaked into it. Here comes another one, murmured Sugar. Another what? exclaimed Bortnik. Another what, exactly? The glassy extrusion was already becoming a humanoid shape. A hulking shadow form, slope-shouldered and twice the size of a human being. Its head and the extremities of its limbs had yet to coalesce. Move, now, the doctor ordered. They all turned and ran. The me finally arriving at their location, emitted a whine of protest and shot off after them again. Meanwhile, the Luck Dog, suddenly robbed of playmates, got up and trotted towards the forming entity. It bounced on its toes and yapped at it. The entity leant down towards it. The Luck Dog howled and ran in terror. For a little thing, it made rapid progress. It raced straight past Sugar, who had split left around the sculpture. She saw it and instinctively stamped on its trailing leash, bringing it to a sudden and strangulated halt. Sugar bent down, grabbed the leash, scooped the dazed little animal up into her arms and started running again. The doctor and Lincoln had both cut across the sculpture in their flight. Not this way, Lincoln suddenly announced. They skidded to a halt halfway across the concrete leaf, Another glassy sphere was spinning into being ahead of them. A second entity was extruding into eternity's quantum wavelength. The Doctor and Lincoln broke right. What the heck are these things? Lincoln cried. Entities from a parallel quantum position, the Doctor yelled back. But where are they coming from? I. The Doctor began, a parallel quantum position, didn't I make that clear? I haven't got a clue what you're on about, Lincoln yelled. "'Wait! Wait for me!' Bortnik shouted. He was hobbling across the big concrete leaf behind them. One of his shoes had apparently come loose. "'Please!' he yelled. "'Keep going!' the doctor told Lincoln and turned back for Bortnik. The two semi-formed entities, towering ominous shadows, were converging on him. They had no feet yet, but the doctor could hear the thump of their footsteps on the concrete. "'They're almost here,' he thought, almost through. "'Most of their mass has already solidified in this dimension.' He ran towards the biographer. Bortnik, Lars, this way, he shouted. I can't run anymore, Bortnik protested. The noise of shrieking voices had become almost overwhelming. The doctor could hear them calling out from the immeasurable depths of time and space. The voices were calling names Lincoln Tang, Sugar Macaulay, Lars Bortnik, Lars Bortnik. Lars Bortnik, You leave him alone! The doctor yelled back. You can't have him! You can't have him! Bortnik ran towards him. A wind had picked up from somewhere, gusting fiercely through the terminal space. A third entity appeared. This one formed in a matter of seconds, as though the more of them that came through, the easier it got. It coalesced right beside Bortnik, blood and shadow swirling out of rotating glass. Lars! the doctor yelled. The entity reached out and touched Lars Bortnik on the nape of the neck with its unformed hand. Bortnik melted from the neck outwards. The flesh of his throat, shoulders and head turned to swimming glass, revealing the bones beneath The transparency travelled down his body, voiding Lars Bortnik, his clothes and his shoes in a swift but indecently vivid anatomical reveal. Bortnik's staring eyes and the ghostly traces of his skull were the last things to vanish. The doctor looked back at him. I'm sorry, Lars, he cried, I'm so, so sorry. Bortnik, what remained of him, popped and disappeared like a soap bubble on a summer's day. The three entities, almost fully formed now, turned to regard the Doctor. The Doctor faced them as they lumbered towards him. He pulled out his sonic screwdriver and hastily adjusted its settings. The three entities thumping towards him were in different stages of materialisation. The most recent, the thing that had melted Lars Bortnick, was still a glass shape filled with grotesquely vivid organs. The first to form was the most complete. It had the makings of hands now, and feet... Both sported the glass outlines of claws. It had part of its head, too. The head was big and hunched forwards, thrusting out from the heavy shoulders. The doctor realised that he could see the line of its mouth, hanging in space like the grin of the Cheshire Cat, about to become real. It was a broad mouth, broader than the terrifying maw of a great white shark, and, like the shark's mouth, this grin was full of teeth. Not today, the doctor said. Let's try disrupting your wavelengths a little. He fired a modulated burst from his sonic screwdriver. The three entities shivered as if they were having trouble holding together. The most recently manifested of the three vanished in a wobble of light. The other two devolved rapidly and reduced to shimmering spinning balls of bloodshot glass. Sugar, Lincoln, this way, the doctor yelled. The three of them ran towards the chrome wall. Inside, the central office levels of Eternity Terminal Station were silent and deserted. The terrible howl of voices had, at least temporarily, gone away. The doctor hid behind an operator's desk with Lincoln and Sugar. The luck dog in Sugar's arms yapped excitedly. Can't you hush him? the doctor asked. Not really, she replied. It's a dog. It doesn't have an off-switch. Not true of all dogs, the doctor replied. I once had a dog with an off-switch. One click, good night. That was really cool, Lincoln said. What was? asked the doctor. That thing you did with your pen thing, said Lincoln. You like banished the monsters, you made them go away. It was like you showed some vampires your holy symbol or something. You play a lot of tri-D games by any chance, Lincoln? The doctor asked. Loads, Lincoln nodded. So what happened to that Mr. Bortnick? It was like he went all yucky. Something bad happened to him, right? The doctor nodded. Something very bad, he said. The luck dog yapped at him. The doctor patted its head. ''Those entities will be back,'' he said, slowly getting to his feet. ''My sonic screwdriver isn't strong enough to disrupt their wavelength for very long.'' He helped Sugar to her feet. She was still carrying the luck dog in her arms. ''I'm sorry,'' he said. ''This isn't what I thought it was.'' ''Why did you think it was, doctor?'' she asked. ''I thought it was an accident,'' he said. ''I thought your ship had accidentally collided with something during quantum transposition.'' "'I thought you'd hit something and it had knocked your engines out of alignment. "'Like a bird strike hitting a plane. "'You know what that is?' "'Sugar and Lincoln shook their heads. "'Like a seagull down your auntie's chimney, then,' the doctor said. "The "'What?' asked Lincoln. "'Never mind,' said Sugar. "'The point is, I thought this was just circumstance,' the doctor said. "'I thought that Joseph Stearns Cluxton, God bless his cotton socks, "'had inadvertently invented a transit system "'that had clashed with another strand of space-time.' I thought the entity we encountered, Sugar, was a victim. Something you hit during transposition. Like a goose flying into an air intake. Like a seagull sucked into a chimney. I thought it was an innocent thing trying to get out. Just trying to get out. And what is it really? asked Sugar. It's something trying to get in, said the doctor. To do what? asked Lincoln. Um, something bad would be my guess, said the doctor. Invade, most likely. That's all very well, said Lincoln, but why are my trouser legs damp? My leggings are wet too, Doctor, Sugar said. The doctor looked down. His pinstriped trousers were soaked from the knee down. Now he understood the chill he'd felt. They're fountains, he exclaimed. What are, asked Sugar, those giant leaf-shaped sculptures out on the concourse, the doctor cried. They're not giant leaf-shaped sculptures at all. They're fountains. Pools and fountains. "'With no water in them,' said Lincoln. "'Not according to our clothes,' said the Doctor. "'We got wet, all of us, running through them. "'They're full of water, but we can't see it.' "'How can that be?' asked Sugar. "'Because it's moving. "'You see, the water in the fountain pools is moving, "'like the air and the sky and the time of day "'and the people all around us. "'It's all moving.' "'I don't understand,' said Lincoln. "'Nobody's vanished,' said the Doctor. "'Nobody at all. "'They're all still here, but just out of reach, "'on another wavelength.' We are the ones who have vanished. Sugar and Lincoln followed the Doctor into the central control room. There were big Novi Lunar corporate logos on the chrome and glass walls. The luck dog was yapping excitedly in Sugar's arms and the follow me was chugging along behind her. What do you mean? she asked. What do you mean, we are the ones who vanished? I mean, that's why everyone on eternity has disappeared or seems to have disappeared, said the Doctor, sitting down at the nearest console. He looked at her. They haven't, he said. We have. Whatever interrupted the ship's transposition knocked us sideways. We're existing at a slightly different wavelength from the reality we know. We've been tilted a few beats sideways, reality-wise. Sugar blinked. So everyone who went missing is actually still on that ship? I think so, said the doctor. And there are millions of people cheering us outside, asked Lincoln. The doctor nodded. That's really difficult to get your head around, said Sugar. Isn't it, said the doctor. So how do we put it right then, asked Lincoln. I'm hoping this will tell us, the doctor said, slapping his hands on the surface of the control center's main console. This station should have mapped the vehicle's entire transposition, plus all superposition variables. The entire flight plan should be here, so I can pick it apart and work out exactly where we were bumped out of reality. He started to scroll through the monitor data. It may take a moment, he added. Shame you don't have Bortnick's notebook to help you, said Sugar. It is, it really is, the doctor replied. He took the notebook out of his pocket. Where did you get that? Sugar gasped. Oh, you didn't pick his pocket, did you? The poor man. The doctor sighed. It's what Mr. Bortnick would have wanted, Lincoln stated firmly. How do you know? Asked Sugar. Lincoln shrugged. Isn't that what people say at moments like this? "'Actually, I feel a bit bad about it now, given what, you know, happened to him,' the doctor said. "'But not so bad that it'll prevent me from using it,' he added. He started to work again, scrolling through complex data on the monitor and comparing it to details on the notebook device. Sugar put the luck dog down and tied its leash to the follow basket. "'So let me get this straight,' said Lincoln. First, you thought what happened to us was an accident, but now you don't. You think some kind of alien race, what did you call them?' Entities from a parallel quantum position, the Doctor said. Right, those things. You reckon they're, like, trying to invade us? Well, it's just supposition on my part, said the Doctor. Because the only way to know for sure is to ask one of those entities, and they don't look like conversational types to me. But I imagine it's something along the lines of this. You have these entities, a hyper-aggressive, predatory species with considerable technological advancement. They inhabit a different reality to ours, a parallel quantum wavelength. Maybe they're simply expansionist in nature, a race of conquerors. Maybe they've used up or worn out their reality and need a new one. Maybe some natural disaster is destroying their universe. And we get the idea, doctor, said Sugar. OK, said the doctor. They want to hop into a new reality. Ours looks promising. Now, they have some basic transposition technology, enough to observe our dimension and maybe send signals through but not enough to actually open a gateway or transpose themselves into our universe. What they need is someone on our side of things to construct a device that will open the wavelength for them. In order to break through, they need someone to be tunnelling from our side to meet them halfway. So they sent the details of transposition technology to Joseph Stearns Cluxton, said Sugar. The doctor grinned and nodded. They sent the details of transposition technology to good old Joe Cluxton. He probably had no idea where it was coming from. He may have even believed it was his own work. A genius flash of inspiration, anyway. He dutifully built the transposition engines they designed for him and activated them. And they started to come through, said Sugar. The shock of their transposition shifted things on a quantum level. It jarred us. The three of us and the other people from the ship. It jarred us sideways, just out of step with our reality's quantum wavelength. That's why everybody else appears to have vanished so what are you trying to do? asked Lincoln. I'm trying to find a way of jolting us back to the right wavelength so we can rejoin our reality, said the doctor, and I'm trying to find a way of closing the door on these entities once and for all. The luck dog started yapping excitedly. What spooked him? Lincoln asked. The doctor looked grim. Like most animals, he's sensitive to things that aren't quite there. He can smell the entities, or hear them at least, because they're gathering, they're closing in. They know what we're trying to do, and they want to stop us. The doctor had been working quietly for about twenty minutes. He put his pen down, tore a sheet out of his old-fashioned paper notebook, and looked vaguely pleased with himself. Then he switched off Lars Bortnick's high-tech notebook and slipped it into his pocket. Have you done it? asked Sugar. "'I've done the theory part,' said the doctor. "'Now comes the practical. "'Using the control center's flight record data, "'I've identified the specific quantum frequency "'at which we were bumped out of reality.' "'What do we do with that?' Sugar asked. "'We get everyone back on board the ship "'and we cycle the engines up to that frequency again. "'That should neatly shift us back into our native quantum environment.' "'Let's go then!' she cried, "'taking her feet off the console "'and putting her winged chrome helmet back on. "'Lincoln?' Lincoln looked up from another console in the control centre. He'd found out that it was possible to access Tri-D games on it. Time to leave, he asked. The Doctor led the way. They moved through the Novi Lunar complex cautiously, checking each corridor and hall and open space, listening for the sound of beating wings. You don't seem especially pleased with yourself, Sugar quietly mentioned to the Doctor as they crept along. Pleased with myself, he repeated. Well, Haven't you just figured out how to save us? You should be delighted. I've realized I can't save poor Reston or Lars Bortnick. The entities removed them to their own wavelength. I've no idea how to get them back. I doubt they're still alive anyway. It's more than that, though, isn't it? She asked. You're a very perceptive girl, Sugar Macaulay, said the doctor. I'm a comfort mediator, she replied. It's my job. So, spill. What's the real problem? The doctor sighed. Well, I just realised that I've already thwarted the entity's plans when we engaged the clutch, Sugar, and when we decycled the engines and brought the ship into land. Interstitial transposition vehicle, she corrected softly. That brought a smile to his face. But it was sad, too. That's why they're closing in, he said. That's why they're gathering. We shut the engines down. They still can't get through easily. That's really annoyed them. But... You see, to save everyone, to save you, sugar, I've got to turn the engines back on. And that's exactly what they want, she said. It's a tricky one, I'll say that for it. What will you do? Oh, something incredible, He promised. I find that generally works best. Do I get the impression it will also be entirely spur of the moment and improvised, she asked. There's nothing wrong with a good ad lib, He replied. Where have you been? "'demanded Charles Anders when they reappeared. "'We haven't been gone long,' said the doctor. "'It felt like ages,' said J. Sylvian. "'We need to get you all back on the vehicle,' said Sugar. Millie, can you help me get everyone moving in the right direction?' "'Yes, Sugar,' Millie called back. "'Where's Mr. Bortnick?' asked Mrs. Westlake. "'Wasn't he with you, Doctor?' "'Never mind him,' protested Charles Anders. "'I'm not getting back aboard that godforsaken ship. "'The trip here nearly killed us.' ''We've got to get back on board it, mister,'' said Lincoln Tang. ''Oh, what do you know?'' snapped Anders. ''You're just a kid.'' ''I know what I'm talking about, old person,'' Lincoln replied. ''If we stay here, we'll really be dead. Those things got Mr. Bortnick and he melted something bad.'' ''He what?'' asked Mrs. Westlake. ''Melted?'' asked the woman called Joyce. ''Oh, my God,'' said G Sylvian. ''Now, Lincoln,'' said the Doctor, ''I thought we weren't going to mention that.'' ''Sorry?'' said Lincoln, looking crestfallen. The doctor looked at the worried and expectant faces of the passengers. Look, he began. For their comfort and safety, transit clients are encouraged to return to the executive salon of Novi Lunar Corporation's interstitial transposition vehicle. Sugar interrupted in a clear, projecting voice. She was coyly indicating the way, using safety demonstration gestures. A complimentary at-seat snack and beverage service will be available, while Novi Lunar makes the most strenuous efforts possible to correct this transit error and return you all to your normal quantum state. Mediating your comfort is our business, and our business is Novi Lunar business. Everyone was looking at her. So get back on the freaking ship now, Mr. Anders, and all the rest of you! Sugar growled. Let the doctor save your lives from a fate so nasty you don't even want to know about it. Move! Scoot! Everyone obediently began to hurry towards the seating lounge exit. Additional information can be found on the laminated card in your seat back pouch. Sugar called after them. The doctor grinned at her. Sugar McCauley, I could kiss you, he said. Not stopping you, she replied. Doctor, Lincoln Tang said, yes. I hear voices. The voices were getting closer. Sugar, Lincoln and the Doctor led the anxious passengers out of the seating area and back across the terminal station's vast concourse towards the ship. The sky above seemed to be bruised with light. A stale white glare filled the concourse. A breeze had picked up, blowing grit and litter around. Voices screamed from far away. The follow me sped after the advancing party, dragging the reluctant luck dog by its lead. Someone just said my name. Mrs. Westlake said, "And mine!" exclaimed Charles Anders. "Nothing to worry about," the doctor announced. "It's just an auditory interstitial echo—a a, a side effect of transposition. Pay no attention." "It isn't, is it, Doctor?" Sugar whispered. "No," he admitted. "It's how the entities lock onto us. It's how they target us. They learn our names." "Ah," she said. "What's the matter?" he asked. "I keep hearing something saying my name too." "'She said. "'They've got us all targeted, haven't they?' "'I won't let them get you, sugar,' he said. "'I believe you,' she replied, smiling back at him bravely. "'I'm relying on you now, you understand?' "'Oh, totally,' he said. "'The crowd of passengers reached the red carpet "'and followed it to the foot of the landing tower steps. "'Oh, that's not good,' Lincoln cried out. "'He was pointing. "'A spinning ball of mercury and glass "'was forming about three metres away from the tower's base.' There's another one, Mrs Westlake exclaimed. A second entity was extruding into the wavelength close to the red carpet. Someone just said my name, Lincoln cried out. There's another one, Charles Anders yelled. The doctor turned. Dozens of spinning glass forms were appearing across the concourse, slowly fusing and coalescing into entities. Up the steps, everybody! He yelled, Sugar, Millie, get everyone into their seats. And this time it's got to be their original seats, the ones they were in when they started. He shuddered. A shocked expression crossed his face. ''What's the matter?'' Sugar asked as she ushered people past onto the steps. ''Someone just said my name,'' said the Doctor. ''What? The Doctor? Big deal!'' ''No,'' he said. ''My name. My actual name. I didn't think there was anyone left in the entire universe who knew what it was. Except for me. ''They're targeting you?'' ''I'm right in their crosshairs,'' he said. They're coming to stop me before I spoil everything for them. Millie and Sugar scrambled the passengers up the tower and into the vehicle. As they got them seated, the doctor slammed the hatch shut with Lincoln's help. The jarring cries of the phantom voices were unpleasantly piercing. There was a gritty smell in the air, a baked dust smell of dead realities. What happens now? Lincoln asked excitedly. You get to your seat. The doctor told him. But I want to be part of the fun, Lincoln protested. This isn't going to be fun, yelled the doctor. Go! Lincoln ran. The doctor hurried towards the flight deck of the interstitial transposition vehicle. It was as he and Sugar had left it, the main screen was just showing a blinking cursor symbol. The doctor flopped into the command seat and activated pre-transit checks. He called up the engine ignition protocols and set them to the specific quantum frequency that he'd calculated from their command centre data. There was a rumble as the transposition engines began to cycle from a cold start. Responding to automatic preconditions, the pink glow around the edges of the windows started up again. ''Come on!'' said the Doctor. ''Come on, let's go!'' The engine tone began to increase. Joseph Sterns Cluxton's transposition engines began to cycle up to the wavelength that the Doctor had set. The Doctor held his finger over the cutoff switch. As soon as they reached the correct frequency and realigned with reality, he could kill the engines. But he could hear something calling his name. Lisping his name through alien maws too full of teeth. He looked up. A silvery ball of glass and light appeared in the left-hand part of the flight deck. An entity was beginning to form. The doctor got out of his seat. A second entity was extruding its glassy way into his universe directly to his right. The left-hand one already had limbs growing. It lashed out at him, hoping to touch him. The doctor threw himself flat, ducking. The flailing limb struck a seat back and disintegrated it. The flight deck was no longer a safe place to be. The entities moved towards him. The doctor darted for the executive salon. What's happening now? Jay Sylvian asked tremulously as the doctor rushed past her along the aisle. I'll just find out, Sugar replied and turned to race after the Doctor! Doctor! What?! he yelled over his shoulder as he ran through the vehicle's aft service space towards the engineering compartment. What's happening?! Sugar shouted, chasing him. They're closing in on me, he replied, not breaking step. They're trying to stop me. The transposition engines were grumbling, their rhythm rising. The sound of screaming voices was deafening. Something was calling Sugar's name over and over. Her name and someone else's. The doctor skidded to a halt at the iris hatch that led into the engine compartment. They know me now, he said. I have their full attention. He looked in through the compartment hatch. The engines were now singing to themselves. He listened and smiled. What? she asked. He raised a finger, indicating that she should wait for a moment. There was a tiny little jolt. We just hit the right wavelength, he said in quiet triumph. We just bumped back. "'We have?' Sugar asked. "'Go upstairs and I think you'll find a full complement of transfer clients restored,' said the doctor. "'You're back in your home reality, Sugar Macaulay.' "'But what about?' she began. "'The hard part? I was just getting to that.' He stepped through the hatch into the compartment and immediately recoiled. Three entities were lurking in the workspace between the engine shells. They turned to block him. They were virtually fully formed.' Dark, shadow predators that would tear reality apart if they got the chance. Their mouths were wide and full of teeth. They're not going to let me get at the engines, the doctor said. Just a quick blast of my screwdriver on the right frequency would be enough to disrupt the engine cycle and send them into a safety shutdown. But those things won't let me get close enough. He looked at her. Never mind. I have another idea, he said. The luck dog was yapping furiously in her arms. Sugar tried to shush it. It was hard to hold on to the small, struggling animal and bend down and adjust the follow his command settings. "'Done! It's done, Doctor!' she cried. The loyal little artificial lurched away from her and scooted through the engine compartment hatch. As soon as it had trundled past him, the Doctor leapt out from behind the hatch cover and waved at the entities in the compartment. "'Hey, hello! Looking for me?' he shouted. They saw him and moved forward. They didn't pay any regard to the small artificial rolling across the floor. They didn't know its name. The doctor's sonic screwdriver was strapped in the follow me's hopper with a diamante leash. The screwdriver was set for a ten second burst. (laughs) The bump was more considerable this time. It felt like the ship had properly crashed. Sugar and the Doctor were both knocked off their feet and sirens began to wail. Emergency lights flashed. The engines made a terrible, uncomfortable noise. And then shut down. The entities, now right at the compartment hatch, stopped moving. They trembled for a moment. Then they shattered like glass. The tumbling fragments vanished and they were excluded from standard reality forever. The doctor helped Sugar to her feet. There, he said. Teamwork. There was pandemonium in the executive salon. Sugar, Sugar, baby, I thought we'd lost you. Lizzie yelled when Sugar appeared. Loads of people just vanished, and then they came back, and I think we have crashed. Sugar returned the barking luck dog to the dowager Colette, then gave Lizzie a hug. It's so good to see you, she said. Over Lizzie's shoulder, Sugar could see Cluxton and his entourage. Cluxton looked apoplectic. Where's Bortnick? He was yelling. Where's Bortnick? I'd see if you can calm him down a bit. Sugar told Lizzie. He's having a bad day. His career's just taken a bit of a dent. Has it? Lizzie asked. I don't think this craft is going into service after all. Safety issues. Sugar left Lizzie in charge and headed for the boarding hatch. As she left the executive salon, she saw Jay Sylvian hugging her husband as if she was never going to let him go. The doctor met her at the hatch, and they opened it together. Where have you been? She asked. "'Well,' he said, "'I know the Empire won't pursue transposition technology after this, "'but just to be on the safe side, what did you do?' "'I made sure the engines won't work again any time soon.' "'They opened the hatch. "'Outside, crowds were cheering and flags were waving. "'Support and rescue services were approaching the landing tower. "'Look,' said the Doctor, "'it's everybody!' "'He gestured towards the city. "'Eternity Terminal Station,' he said.' The end of the line, everybody out. He took her by the hand and led her down the steps. Well, now we're here, what does the future hold for Sugar Macaulay? The doctor asked. You've been there, she said. You tell me. He grinned. Well, I've just got to go and check on something, he said, indicating the ship behind them. I left something in one of the provision stores. He gently straightened her chrome-winged helmet. That really is a brilliant hat, he said. Sugar stood at the hatch and waited as the support teams rushed up. I'm fine, honestly, she said to a worried medical technician. Go check on the transfer clients. I really am fine, she thought. It would take her many months to get back to Earth using conventional travel, but it would be good to go home. Sugar thought she might visit her auntie in the Toronto Tower. She went back inside the interstitial transposition vehicle to help with the commotion. The following trundled after her. I gotta do something to fix your programming, haven't I? She said to it. Then something caught her attention. She blinked and connected a speech link to Lizzie in the salon. Hey Lizzie, she said. It's sugar. Have you any idea how to turn the flickery pink glow off? The doctor found the TARDIS where he'd left her, in Provision Store 3, safe and sound and as welcoming as ever. As he went inside, he paused on the threshold and looked back into the shadows of the storeroom. Sugar hadn't even asked him who the creatures were or where they had come from. Good job, really, as he just didn't know. Sometimes it happened like that. Sometimes he found himself battling against forces he never got to identify or even meet. Still, you couldn't know everything at once, could you? Perhaps he'd encounter them again one day. He hoped not, though. But then, who could say what lay in store, for him or anyone else? As long as there was fun, adventure and learning involved, he was ready to face it. With a final grin at the shadows, he went into the TARDIS, and on into the great unknown. (laughs) Doctor Who, The Last Voyage, was written by Dan Abnett and read by David Tennant and is published by BBC Audiobooks.